previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoy long walks on the beach. Hello, I'm Jen. I'm Jen. <laughs> My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm like feeling very <sighs> distressed. Lady Chi here. <laughs> She's the queen of the fairies. I'm Baby. not made of stone. I have cats that I am throwing away. Anna is in the house. I'm a hat rack. There's Voldemort and bad wizards, but there's also boobies! And I'm Keza. Hello! We all use the shower to wash ourselves. <laughs> I'm P.S. I don't know where I thought the food came from, but I never thought that there were still farms. It's him! It's him! Mike. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You're going to invest, invest in Canadian or Russian shipping. All of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and uh-huh. it's going to open up new shipping lanes. If northern Canada melts, would that not flood the world and kill us all? These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and girls, there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh, my God. Yeah, but there's also a thing called vitrificus totalis. Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. (laughs) Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? (laughs) I was born without wisdom teeth because I'm a higher state of human development. Hold on, you are the future of mankind? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, Vicodin. I love Hello. the fact that she's Australian. The art. This is a momentous moment, and you're mocking my accent. I'm very, very allergic to cats. And my mother-in-law <laughs> is evil, and she knows this. And she got a damn cat. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, <laughs> awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You think that. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. Why is it always me? Why is it never Chi? You never talked about Chi's breasts. He has his breasts are a fixture of Perfect Weekly. I ship Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny. Sniping Harry, not really my thing. Putting aside the question of sexual orientation. On Saturday, September 13th at 11.21 p.m., I fell so madly in love you won't even believe it with Harry Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me and the second half of my life began. She really does love them. I got into a fight with a pit bull I was hitting it over the head with a lawnmower once and it ripped my pants off. See, you're in your underwear whacking dogs with a lawnmower. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, come here, I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> I just, I just kicked my dog in the head. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly. This is like the Manhattan Project. Harry is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. From a memory charm and everyone in the room. <laughs> Shalom. You have reached Puffwa's resident Jew. She has like a whole sound system. I don't have a sound system. Hold on. <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated. Are you a little creaky? For the God, fine. If you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Neither can live while the other survives. What does that mean? How does that mean what is to kill the other? And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. You thought I Jen got pregnant it. on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop. And now, Potterfic Weekly. 
The temperature has gone up another degree as we have been talking. The power company is unable to supply power to cope with this heat wave. And they are doing rolling blackouts across the city, wherein they remove electrical supplies from people up to an hour at a time in order to ease the pressure on the grid. Wow. So if I vanish off the face of the earth and don't come back, the government has withdrawn (laughs) from me my power and is punishing me because they are so stupid that they can't fix up their electricity grid. Anger makes you warmer. Think happy thoughts. It'll keep you cooler. I slipped on the ice and I skinned my knees. You should sue. Who are you going to sue? The sidewalk. I don't know. <laughs> Kevin the thinking Bob the Builder. And Rolly too. Lofty and Wendy join the crew. Bob and the gang have so much fun. Working together, we get the job done. Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Bob the Builder, yes we can. <laughs> get an Australian accent, which makes it, you know, just that much better. What kind of accent do you expect her to sing in? The fact that the song was in that accent in general adds to the hilarity value tenfold. We needed Keza last weekend at the um, karaoke bar because we needed people who would shamelessly sing anything. <laughs> Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, and on that farm he had a kangaroo, E-I-E-I-O. Toot-toot, chugga-chugga, big red car, London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Yankee Doodle went to town, riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his ankle. I can't even sing it, macaroni. Rubber ducky, you're the one. Magic, nothing can, can stand, stand in our way. way. To believe we, we are magic. La 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 la. Xanadu, Xanadu. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you come waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy bowled. You come waltzing Matilda with me. Peanut sat on the railway track, his heart was all a flutter. Train came rolling down the track, toot toot peanut butter. Hey, I was at choir last night and I sounded just like very beautiful like an angel. I'll have you know. Yeah. Don't choke on your sandwich. No, I think I just did. As long as you don't choke, we, we don't want the you know, podcast to be dubbed the one that Keza well, died. I'm <laughs> podcasting and trying to find the Australian equivalent of 911. It's triple zero. <laughs> I don't think that would work from dad, like from the US, though. So. <laughs> You'll want to get yourself an international calling card to charge it to, though. I'm pretty sure that you'd be done for, Keza, by that point, by the time we got around to being able to call the international number. <laughs> what time is it over there? 11.47 a.m. That's why I'm having a sandwich, because it's lunchtime. There's no word in French for snack, like the verb. If, if we are hungry after our meals, we do not eat. We just structure our meals better for the next time. We cannot believe that you do this, and it is very bad for your health. You'll have to excuse the French, Cody. They're easily baffled as they're constantly drunk. <laughs> well, and now we need to just insert an apology to the French people. <laughs> Lego's <Yeah>. new. <laughs> excuse mon Lego. I put my hand on the letterbox the other day and I burnt myself. Yeah. If I put my hand on the letterbox, it would stay there. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at the CNN screen and the running headline was shortage of chicken wings in the U.S. 
It's like, how what? is there a shortage of chicken wings when there be a shortage of chickens? Everything tastes like chicken if you have enough spices on it. Technically speaking, if you use enough ketchup, everything just tastes like ketchup. Anything that that can be used as a conveyance <laughs> for ketchup is good. I'll put ketchup on pretty much anything. I always say inane stuff. That's my specialty. <laughs> my name is Kezel. What sort of stupid intro is that? I would get mocked for that from here to eternity. For Friday, April 3rd, 2009, this is episode 73 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Oh, will there ever be again a podcast quite like this? One brought us together and started its own forum list Where the hosts are all our friends All those stories told by Jen Will it drive lying round the bend? Part of it weekly where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Keza. I'm Pierre. I'm Cody. This is Lego. And we are beginning the first of, I think it is six episodes. Five, of... actually. No, yeah, six. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's a bunch of them. We're going to do a bunch. We have gathered here today to discuss the first 15 chapters of Backwards with Purpose by the current name is Dead Woodpecker. Now, yes. there's apparently a story behind the current name. No one will tell me what it is. So I can't feel you in, but I just call her Ella. So if, if I start randomly talking about Ella, I mean the author. Well, I think okay. our goal over the next four weeks ought to be able to figure out what the heck the story is behind the name change, because now I want to know. Well, I asked her this morning, right? And nobody has yet answered my question. This is the number one goal of this series of podcasts, is to find out why the author is called Dead Woodpecker. <laughs> What a wank! I didn't know if it was pre-DH or something that I if that would be important to the story. Uh-huh. It's post-DH, and plus there's references to stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's post-DH, but it's not post-canon because it's AU fic. So Lego is very enthusiastic about this fic. I, f- I think we should find out a bit about Lego because this is his first time oh, podcasting really? with us. It is indeed the first time, but there's nothing interesting about Lego. That's a myth. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> Okay, let me just... You're, you're, you're sure about that? <laughs> well, I mean, you're a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaws are interesting. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> She's just going to buy it. It is like pulling teeth to find out anything about Lego. Do you live in the vicinity of any exploding toilets and or national landmarks? No. Excellent. My then English you will probably toilet blew up yesterday. That is fantastic. Uh, well, apparently she. <laughs> well, apparently she was telling us this because we had a snow day yesterday. So her plan was to fix her toilet, which had apparently been broken. So she goes to fix it, and the entirety of her bathroom is flooded. And so she currently has a hundred and twenty pound toilet in the middle of her kitchen because she has nowhere better to put it. Apparently, <laughs> she's got nowhere better than the middle of the kitchen. 
Well, Potter I mean, Fix. like, one would assume it's not connected to anything. I always look forward to Potterfix Weekly's um, weekly toilet chat session. <laughs> and that's what Cody has brought for us today. How are you doing, Cody? <laughs> I am doing pretty well. That's, I think, one of the most interesting stories I have as far as that goes. Well, I wasn't a nurse yesterday because I had to get a physical, you know because we haven't really gotten shots in a while. And it turns out that no one can find my immunization records from before I was 12 years old. So apparently they just sort of vanished, and no one really knows where they went to. And so they just thought I needed a couple immunizations. And the nurse is sitting here, and they have to go in my shoulder. And she's like, oh, it'll be fine. And meanwhile, it took them like 30 minutes to get the shots, and they came back with them. I'm sitting there waiting. And they come back, and she's like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, I gave these to a girl earlier, and she had four. And she made this for two without crying. And I'm like, thanks for your <laughs> words of encouragement. Like, they weren't even that bad, but that was just, like, not the most encouraging thing to say. Yeah, you're going to cry halfway through the torture. I'm and then, to- I, I mean, yeah. And then after two, I felt kind of nauseous. And I'm like, is this supposed to happen? And she just looks very dire. She's like, no. No, it isn't. <laughs> I'm just like, you're not supposed to say that. I forgot to just lie to me. I don't want to know that you're mean. Oh, you're fine. You're fine, Clug. I've always found it interesting that doctors and nurses think that um, the fact that they have stabbed you with a needle should stop hurting as soon as they have removed it from you. So that's why I spent my snow day. They have to explain to me, because I'm a bit ignorant, I need to know what a snow day is, because people keep talking about snow days, oh, and I don't really? know what it is. Well, a snow day <laughs> is when there's bad weather, and people in the school district, you know, think that they shouldn't have buses going out, and, you know, small children waiting at bus stops, and that a snow day is basically when we either have a two-hour delay, or we're off school. I understand. Excellent. Now, there are no snow days in the fic because, well, they're at boarding school, so snow days are irrelevant. How are you today, P.S.? I'm good. I slipped on the ice and skinned my knee, so my knee hurts, but I am otherwise well. That does not interfere with podcasting ability. Brilliant! I think it was Nigeria where there's a strong belief in witchcraft, and there is currently a goat being held trial on charges of armed robbery (laughs) (laughs) under the assumption that he transformed himself into an animal after committing the crime. So he is currently being held in custody into the waiting charges. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure if he has been read his Miranda rights and if he has. So you're working under the assumption that that goat isn't actually a person who's transformed into a goat. I can't make that assumption. It's entirely possible that that could be a person. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good lord, what's going to happen to the global legal system? We're going to have, like, big How old, like, special uh... <laughs> I think it was the Bernard. He got, you know, he was reincarnated and then came back to haunt the Nigerian legal if system. If you were Bernard and you were a goat and you got sizzled by lightning, <laughs> would you really reincarnate yourself as another goat? Goat. No, see, my theory is he was a human, and then maybe when he was caught, he decided to re to, like turn back into a goat somehow. That's kind of a mix of reincarnation because and being a goat was so safe before. I think this has the makings of a good Hollywood movie. <laughs> I'd love to actually see the trial, and they're trying to like prove the ghost state of mind upon committing the crime, and he's like sitting there like eating carrots in the corner of the courtroom. <laughs> Because, you know, you have the right to face your accused, but you make sure you aren't allergic to them first. But do you think they might have different courtroom rules over in Nigeria? I, I don't know. 
But you'd because still assume that the accused would be in a courtroom as his trial is going on. I would assume that a goat wouldn't be allowed to stand trial. But, well, you know. he's currently being held <laughs> in custody, so I think that ship has sailed. Isn't it cheaper to <laughs> eat the goat? <laughs> well, apparently they don't believe in the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> and if so, it really is an Animagus, that would be like cannibalism. Are they going to put the goat in a pen for the rest of its life? Because I'm pretty sure that's where it's going to end up anyway. Put it in solitary. They're kind of already prisoners, so would it be in like a solitary confinement pen or something? They need to put it in solitary confinement to protect the goat from the other inmates. Like a chicken, a cow. How do you handcuff a goat? They don't have hands. Just shackle it. Are you like freshly made handcuffs to fit the goat? If he just like slid food under a door or something? I don't know. Do they have like an actual like cell? You know what this actually reminds me of though? I'm picturing Shackle's goat chained to the side of pen. And it's making me think of all those fix where, where Harry is kidnapped by Death Eaters and they chain him to the wall and they put a Dementor in with him and they just shove crusts of bread under the door. And I'm imagining this poor goat being tortured the way that... Like the way goat Harry experiences did. in jail. And he's probably going to write, you know, like write a memoir after this about his experiences in the Nigerian legal system. It'll be translated and die, you know, dictated, of course. <laughs> Wait a second, is this goat's name Nelson? I don't know. <laughs> is he a Nelson. political prisoner? I don't know. <laughs> and then he's going to like lead a freedom movement and end up, you know, like writing his you know memoirs in several years and being a president of an African country and all that jazz. If they believe in witchcraft and they believe that people can transform themselves into animals, could they have like cat on the ballot if they have an elected government? Typically, aren't you supposed to be tried by a jury of your peers? Wouldn't they need other farm animals in the jury in order to make this a fair trial? And uh, they get a whole bunch of goats to, you know, the jury of goats, and they present the evidence. And have the lawyers go through and make the, like, sure the goats have no prior connections to this goat. <laughs> it's like, what is your relationship to, you know, to the defendant? They can't find a suitable Because there's only one stud goat in the whole village, so (laughs) father, they're all related. (laughs) Yeah, and and all the female goats, like, slept with the goat at some point. And (laughs) they're not going to, you know, roll over on him. Sorry, that didn't... That meant to sound metaphorical. (laughs) I recently went to visit my sister. This has got nothing to do with goats. I think we're just getting into dangerous territory. (laughs) And we should move away from the goat talk. (laughs) I was just going to say, this is the influence that Potterfic Weekly has on people. We're getting out the Lego ha, for the children, and I'm thinking, you know, of Lego because there's a Lego for the kids. And, of course, why wouldn't you? Like, it's the first thing I think of. And there's this little white thing under her, like, TV cabinet thing in the back room, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what is that? And she's like, oh, that's the Wii Fit. And I just started laughing. <laughs> All she told me was it was the Wii Fit. And it made me laugh. And she knew why I was laughing. She hasn't heard the Naked We Fit podcast, but she oh. knew that I was laughing because it was... I haven't either. I'll have to... <laughs> Although now just... with that kind of teeth... <laughs> I cannot recall which one it is, 59 or something. I don't know. So um, I believe Robert is the uh, resident Naked We Fitter. I would so, like um, to state sitting... for the record that I bought a We Fit on Sunday and I have never used it naked. Why? 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 Why would they do this? So we get out the Wii Fit and we're doing the Wii Fit 
I've got a bad knee. Tells you when it's doing a balance test for you to stand on your good leg. So I stood on my good leg and I came out as 33 years old. And I thought that's pretty good because I just turned 35. So I decided to try it on my bad knee, the one that I dislocated when I was 16. And the WeFit believes on the basis of my bad knee that I'm 52. So I have a 52-year-old knee and a 33-year-old knee. On the Wii Fit. We did not do it naked. We Wii Fitted fully clothed. But well, um, I, I, don't I just think thought the it was... results are valid then. <laughs> just thought it was interesting the way that Potterfit Weekly just gets into your very life in that way. Because yeah. if I hadn't heard naked Wii Fit on Potterfit Weekly, I would have just gone, huh, it's a Wii Fit. That's nice. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> but no, I had to find out how old I was. Maybe you're 42. That's the average. Yes, that is the average. Uh, I think I just have exceptionally bad hand-eye coordination, so I was something like 70, because I could never hit the ball they were throwing at me. <laughs> Loss of limb will not excuse you. All right, let's try to get through a little bit of this, just because we've been kind of waffling on. Yes, All right, so. um, there are no goats in the fic. There are no wee Battle. fits in the fic. There is no plastic Lego in the fic. There but it would have no, been better uh, if there was. If there were goats, yes, you know. everything is better with Lego. And, yeah. <laughs> so, Lego, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that deciding to go back in time and fix things was a good idea or was it just a drunken, <laughs> stupid moment that got out of hand? Yes. <laughs> yes to what? Both. I think it was a, a drunken, stupid decision, and I, I think it was a good idea. So I think both of those things are valid. So you it know, took them but... four years. So my thinking is they had four years to back out, but they obviously kept going. I find it interesting that they couldn't think of going back in time until they were drunk. I would have thought that that might have popped up sometime in the intervening previous several years that they had been moping around. It wasn't something that considered to be possible. I mean, you know, Hermione knows a lot about the Wizarding World, and she still's convinced it couldn't happen, really. They, like, give her that book, and she's like, oh, that could never happen, even when they kind of prod her about it. They woke up the next morning, they took some Advil for their hangover, and they went to Hogwarts. They could have backed out at any time, but they still believed it when they were sober. Yeah, so- that's what I mean, at four years. The thing that I found interesting was, at one point, they're saying, well, a time-turner doesn't go back years. And then, I think it's Ron brings up, Hermione said that a time-turner was the most reliable, which must mean that there are unreliable. And I think it just shows they are seriously contemplating using an unreliable method to do it. That's how much despair. I wish we had found out more about this future. Because the way it is presented, you can't really tell the extent of the large damage. All you can really see is the people that they personally lost. So in a way, I was thinking, is it a little selfish? Because they're changing everyone in the world's future too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but they were the ones who influenced the world changing for the better. So you could argue, and I'm not saying it's right, because it was their actions that most directly caused the world to get rid of Voldemort, that they have more of a... I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? That they have since... No, never mind. (laughs) I don't know. I was thinking that the biggest changes that came were actually not them. You know something is up from the beginning. When they arrive back there and the prophecy is already known, I think it must be the second chapter, and they're on the train with Hermione and she calls Harry the Chosen One. So things have changed 
in that reality. Oh, yeah. And she knows Before of the prophecy, and they find yeah. out later that it has changed. And the first That's time I read this, I didn't see that as significant. I was just like, oh, yeah. And it's not till I read it all the way through and went back and read it again that I've thought, wow, the complexity of the plot <laughs> spins me out completely. You don't pick up these things until you get to the end of the fic and you're like, oh. And it's like, you know, you go back and there are all these light bulb moments. It's like was woven in from the very beginning. So the things I think that change most may not actually be them. But the other thing I think is I think they pay a heck of a price for doing it as well. So let's say it's selfish. Can you imagine going back and wanting things to basically be the same? And this really impacts, especially Harry. True. He loses a lot just going back. And, I, and you have to wonder. He obviously, by the end of the fic, thinks that it's worth what he loses because... Dude, what are you doing? You Stop talking. Stop talking now. I haven't read past chapter, chapter 20, so... Their perspective at the beginning of the story is that nothing that they could go back and do would have any would, worse outcome on the way that things worse. turned out. Yeah, I mean, even if Voldemort won and Harry died and, you know things were absolutely terrible afterwards it wasn't going to be more terrible than it already was things couldn't get any worse because of the way that it ended but you know as far as the ripple effect goes and the way that it's described with the characters in these early chapters it's never made entirely clear whether the ripple effect changed the prophecy or whether stop talking stop talking now sorry about that chief one problem that I had with the whole beginning is that it really does seem rushed. Like, oh, I wish she'd spent more time fleshing out the situation, fleshing out this world. And I think that Albus lets it happen too conveniently. He should not be okay with screwing with time. Yeah. As okay as yeah, he I kept, is. I kind of was wondering, does he know something we don't know, sort of? Like, that, I, that was me writing this in, like, the second chapter or something. But it just seemed like, you know, his eyes twinkling, sort of... I'm not sure if that's just him thinking that it could go better or if that's kind of more a repeat of what we saw like in third year where he sort of knows something. I think Albus does know something. Okay. You'd be wrong. Dude, what are you doing? Sorry, I'm trying not to be spoilery. So I'm not going to go on with that anymore. Okay. Stop talking. Stop talking now. I think it is possible that Albus has a clue. Well, I, I think it's I possible he has a clue because he's a very clever man and he could yeah. jump to that conclusion, but I don't think he has any facts that would lead him to those conclusions. Right. No, but I think that he's very intuitive and stuff. Well, obviously, yeah. he is Dumbledore. Explanation for everything. He's Dumbledore, you know. So I was going to go back to P.S.'s comment about fleshing out the world because we find out quite a bit of it through flashbacks. When I read yeah. the first chapter, it kind of leaves you high and dry. Do you think that's maybe an effective device? Because I know, I read the first chapter and I was like, what the heck has happened to these people? Specifically, the first chapter is is actually a prologue. The first chapter is actually after they've gone back in time. This is just a prologue. And the story isn't about the future that Harry, Ginny, and Ron are from. The story is about the fact that they left the time that they were from and went backwards through time. Yeah, but I I think it's important to to explain what they're leaving from. Do you think it would have been more effective to find that out before we got into the story and not the flashback way that it's written? Because I found the flashback way really effective. 
I like the flashbacks, but I wish there had been more in the prologue. It works, because it kind of created this image for me of the world they came from being sort of very barren, because they don't really talk about it much. You just sort of get this picture of them, and there's nothing else described. It just kind of gave a picture to me of a world that's very sparse. You can see why it would be not worth them staying there, and they'd be willing to pretty much do anything to change how the world is. So I thought of that. I wondered if that was the case. Like, I couldn't tell if they were really the only ones left or if it was sloppy writing that didn't mention anything else because like it mentions that Hogwarts is still going and Seamus is teaching there. I think of the people they knew they were some of the only people left. I don't think the rest of the survivors are relevant to Harry and Ginny's and Ron's decision making in this particular process. I mean, I get what you're saying. You'd like to know more about what they were coming so you can understand their psychosis better. I agree with you that she rushed through the prologue and it seems like it's a very neat package. Okay, they got drunk, they decided to go back in time, and then they did it. From the perspective of it just being a prologue and not being a true part of this story... Um, I can see why it's written the way that it is. If it was the first chapter of the story, I would certainly agree that there's just not enough there for it to really have a plot and be a full chapter. But when you look at it from the effect of all she's doing is setting up the first place in this particular story arc, but it never becomes relevant to the future that would have happened had they let it go is never relevant to what actually happens during the story. Well, I think it is to the degree that it shapes the way that Harry, Ron, and Ginny make decisions. They flash back to the points that people die, but they never flash back to, you know, other than, you know, a couple of interpersonal moments between themselves. It's the future, as we know it, from the point that the Hogwarts battle ended to the point that they actually went back in time. There's really no description of that at any point. Well, that might just sort of be stylistic to the sense that there really wasn't much to describe because they were sort of living in a very barren way, sort of. Yeah. I don't think there was anything left for them in the future that they left from. I also think that these three characters didn't care what happened to the rest yeah. of the world within, I think that's true. Yeah. within their lives. Harry felt he'd paid his penance to the world. And while this was probably, I definitely think it was a selfish act. Um, and you get that when Harry casually mentions the possibility of committing suicide and neither Ron or Jenny even bother to admonish him about the fact that he's thinking about it. It doesn't disturb them at all. You know, you see at that particular point in time, they no longer care for the world around them. What they're trying to do is give their lives some meaning again. It reminds me of the line that says it was odd to have a purpose again. Just the idea of having something, you know, that four years to work for. And that, I think that the four-year period is interesting, if that sort of changed their personalities at all. Because, you know, when they had some kind of purpose, even if you're in a really bad situation, if you sort of have the light at the end of the tunnel, like, if I keep doing what I'm doing, if I keep hoping, you know, whatever, then maybe this will happen. Just that shift from complete hopelessness to something. And I think that may have shaped their personality, because four years is a pretty significant chunk of time. So- well, it's always and always. I mean, that's their purpose. I think I mean, just, but the four years is what gives them the chance to get from the people who don't care whether or not they live or die. That four years gives them that time because they're going back with, like, the whole title of the fic is with purpose. It gives them the time to build that purpose so that when they yeah. wake up the morning that they're Ron and Harry are heading off to Hogwarts, they are actually very different people to the people that went to see Dumbledore and asked how they could travel back in time yeah. because Harry laughs. He opens his eyes and he laughs, and they've done it. And they've actually sent their memories back in time. And I think 
if they hadn't had that four years to prepare, what kind of Harry would have been sent back? Would it have still been the bitter one? Would they have had the level of True. purpose? I'm sure they wouldn't have thought about it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, like, if the potion only took, like, an hour to brew and they'd done it right after they got back from talking to Albus. And if, they were like, still half drunk. They'd have killed Wormtail right away. Like, I can imagine Ron waking up and just yeah. killing the rat. I know that in Oregon right now, they have a law that says you can get a certain prescription medicine if you have a terminal illness to end your life. But you have to wait, like, two weeks between asking and going back and asking again. So you can't make a really rushed decision. Yeah, I mean, it seems yeah. a lot of, like, that's that built in, that kind of buffer. And it's that spell seems like that to me. I think there are practical reasons for why it takes so long, but I think it's also sort of, not just plot reasons. And because, I, well, they, they had to put all their memories in the potion, so by the time they were finished, they didn't even remember what they were doing. I thought that was interesting. But they knew it must be important, so they kept doing it. They yeah. pulled the PS and they kept meticulous notes about what it was that they were supposed to be doing, so they wouldn't just, you know, wander off and fall down the stairs. That was yeah. very sad end to the story. They fall down the stairs and die, not knowing who they are at the end. It would be a good alternate ending, you know, all of them um, actually remove their memories about where they lived and they couldn't figure out getting back to Grimhold Place to and actually take the up, potion. Like, living in the little, like, homeless shelter and they have no idea who they are. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, that would have been uh, a riveting you know, think... fic. Yeah. Back, back to Kez's point about them being happy when they get back. I think part of it is just a euphoria about actually seeing yeah. people alive that yeah. they didn't ever expect to see alive again. I get the sense that Harry, he's, as much as he hates the Dursleys, he's like, everything was the same. You know, Uncle Ven is the same, the newspaper's the same, breakfast is the same. But you get the sense that Harry actually doesn't care. He's even buoyant about that, yeah. that the Dursleys are the same. He has bigger fish to fry at this point, you know. Yeah, there's a line in it where it's like, they really were as big a jerks as he remembered they were, and he sort of felt vindicated, yeah. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> just made me laugh. It's like Pollyanna, looking on the bright side. Yeah, <laughs> well, at least I know they really were bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You get their first Christmas, and, you know, the Dursleys send him his usual horrid, wretched present, and instead yeah. of getting down about it he's like oh yeah that's right they send me terrible presents i remember that and that's what i'm saying it just shows the depths that they must have sunk to when they thought up this drunken crazy plan that harry is now he's almost happy just to get stupid presents yeah. from the dursleys well i'm really glad that they didn't do it right away because it gave them time to think about things like if you'll notice when he meets ron for the first time yeah. did anyone else get confused at first while they were pretending they didn't know each other i did too i forgot yeah and it wasn't until the characters actually said how they had to pretend in front yeah. of scabbers I was like, oh, of course, because they know, you know, they have to be careful about about yeah. what they say. I thought that was yeah, actually was gonna... a convenient device that she used, having somebody there that they couldn't tip off. So, you know, they couldn't say whatever they wanted. They couldn't do whatever they wanted. They couldn't act however they wanted because Scabers would figure it out. It gives them a chance to talk in code. Like, that was pretty clever. Like, I forget exactly what Ron says, but he lets Harry know that Ginny made it too. Yeah, Ginny accidentally stepped on him. At least I oh, think yeah. it was an accident. <laughs> she might have thought I'd stay home if my pet was hurt. Ron is telling Harry that Ginny accidentally stepped on him. You can just see Ginny stomping on this rat and Ron going, don't, you're going to wreck it. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> It's a way of telling Harry that it's worked out. Because I noticed that when they got to the barry, Harry doesn't even register Ginny. Like Ron winks at him and you get that connection with Ron. And I was like, why doesn't he acknowledge her? And I still don't quite know why he didn't acknowledge her at all. But then I guess, you know, Percy and Fred and Dodd and everyone were there. Right. There were like, people around. You could still smile at her. You, could, you know. <laughs> 
It's a little I don't know. Also, <laughs> also, he wasn't sure she made it, I think is the point. You know, like, uh, yeah. you know, Ginny could have gotten, like, lost in the middle of time, and it could be, you know, normal Ginny, and he would have looked weird. Yeah. You know. Been some weird boy staring at Molly Weasley's 10-year-old daughter. you got to wait uh, a couple years before you get into that. Yes. You know, I wonder what would happen if their memories that. ended up in some, like, random person. Like, if it somehow <laughs> went wrong, and, like, their memories ended up in, like, Molly Weasley or something. I'm really glad all three of them went, because I think that's why I really didn't like um, Nightmare of the Future's Past because it was just Harry. And when it's just Harry, Harry sort of envelops himself in his own sort of obnoxious yeah, ability. And it's Harry against the world. Yeah. I like that he's got to work with the team because in canon, Harry has worked with Ron and Hermione. Yeah. And it's always been the three of them and the three different pronged attack. And so I think yeah. that part of that is what is appealing about this one. Although it's Ginny and not Hermione, Harry's not alone. He's still got two yeah. mates with I think that keeps it balanced enough that I can enjoy it. Even that part about Ginny accidentally stepping on scabbers, it tempers them because one of them might want to rush off and do something and the other two hold them back going, no, 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 we have to do it this way because... I like that they act as a committee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's interesting how the story kind of handles Hermione. I'm not saying it gives her, like, the shaft, because it definitely does, you know, acknowledge her. But as far as a crucial character, at least during the chapters we've read, she isn't as much of a crucial character as she is in canon, definitely. She's not in the inner circle, so, yeah. you know, it's it's difficult for them to really confide yeah. what they're really talking I mean, about. I, I think it works well with the plot, but it just is kind of interesting, because it's not something you see in a lot of these kind of stories. You, I think like, a lot of it is happening off-screen. This fic is considerably shorter than, you know, the seven canon books. She she skips a lot of what would be the same. And I imagine that yeah. Harry and Ron and Ginny are including Hermione in the friendship thing because they have to yeah, keep yeah, I know. I just mean... have to, you know, be friends with her. I think it's interesting watching Ron when Hermione turns up, like he sits there waiting for her to come. The first time I read this, one of the things that really got to me about this was Ron because he'd lost his wife, he'd lost Hermione in the future and I was trying to imagine what that would be like and I think that she captured it quite well with this little Ron sitting in the carriage making small talk with Harry that's fake small talk because Gabbers is listening in and they're waiting, you know, he's waiting for Hermione to come and Neville sticks his head in and because they've lived it before you can see that, you know, he's like it's going to happen, you know and you can sort of almost go on that that journey with Ron, you know, and you're like and your foot starts jiggling and (laughs) it's just... And then you kind of cringe when Hermione is kind of her 11-year-old little bossy self because... Yeah. (laughs) You know, think of her in the future. And then the moment is almost ruined. Like, Ron sees her for the first time and she starts going on at the prophecy, so he can't even think about the fact that he's just seen Hermione again in, you know, whatever, nearly 10 years. that, That really threw me for a loop. I think that's kind of the moment when I became hooked. Where I knew yeah. this wasn't going to be like your standard Harry, Ron, and Jenny go back on time. They proceed to point A and point B. They collect $200 for passing go. <laughs> you know, they redo all the books, except they don't let anybody get killed. This throws some curveballs at you. That was when I thought it was really interesting, because you can tell that there was something qualitatively different about this universe other than yes. them. Let's talk about the prophecy for a minute. Even though we don't find out the whole prophecy until a bit later, I'm just going to read it, and then we can see, especially Cody, what your thoughts are on the prophecy since you haven't finished the fic, and you're the only one of us that hasn't. Oh, wow. The chosen one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. Born to those who have Thrace defied him, born as the seventh month dies. And the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, 
but he will have terrible power the Dark Lord knows not. He has been bent for always and always, and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. Okay, um, I have kind of a few things, and one is like mildly related to this, but not really. But (laughs) I think it's interesting that in the original prophecy from the books, it says the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord, and in this one it says the chosen one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord, and I'm not sure if that's intentional or just something I noticed because I'm being anal. Well, you'll see, you'll see. Oh, okay. It's not Ella's mistake if that's what you thought it was. Oh, no, I didn't think it was, like, a mistake, but I just sort of noticed that. But don't tell me anything. You were talking. Stop talking now. He has been bent, was sort of explained, but I sort of felt like that was a little superficial. So I'm not sure if that's going to have more significance, because I just sort of explained it away, you know? It was bent because it was a bent reality spell. But I'm not sure how much I buy that, so we'll see if I'm just being paranoid or if that comes back any later. But Every actually, change in the prophecy has a purpose. Right. Okay. The thing that really yeah. threw me when I first read it was the fact that always and always was in there. Because it's like, how on earth does fate but, know about always and always? I guess I didn't think about the ramifications of it. I just sort of thought of how that worked in the context of them and that it changed because of what they did. I'm not sure what I think about the terrible power. I thought it might have been that they considered knowing the future to be sort of a terrible power because you're changing the way sort of the way time works and the way the universe is supposed to work. And it's sort of a terrible, terrified power. It's not the same as a Horcrux because you don't have to necessarily kill to do it, but I'm not sure it makes reference. You know, Hermione makes reference to, you know, I don't, why would anyone do that? It's, you know, all this, you know, do, do you see what you have to do to do that spell? I mean, does it ever actually say what exactly is required to do the spell? I don't think it does. I mean, I'm not saying it's anything like a Horcrux, but I'm just saying that it does to some degree tamper with the intended flow of the universe. You have to go through that journey throughout the story. What is this terrible power, and is it actually relevant to what has changed in this timeline? You're on the right path for where you are in the story. That's the correct place to be with how far you are through the story, but it'll make more sense as you continue on. So as far as being relevant goes, I think it's only relevant in the context of making it relevant. Like, for example, like, say that I've been living my whole life, you know, thinking how I think about my life right now. And then someone came up and told me, I've had a terrible disease my whole life and I didn't know it. Nothing about my life has changed, I just have information that I didn't have two days ago. If he knows what his power is, if knowing doesn't have any physical consequences as far as him knowing about it bringing on the power, it's sort of like the circular thing where by knowing about it and trying to react to it, he brings it on. You know what I mean? Like, by recognizing it and trying to work within its bounds, he does more than he would have if he had ignored whatever it is. So I have no idea what it is at this point. I'm just sort of making broad generalizations, but that's sort of my point of view right now. Well, I've read the whole fic, and I don't even know what it is. No way! I am particularly stupid. I think everybody else probably does. I've been having this trouble lately. I read the Lavender Brown series, and I missed the whole point of the book of Morgan Le Fay. And I'm sitting here listening to this and going, I really didn't pay that much attention to the changed prophecy, but I think that's because I'm like Mike. And I didn't pay much attention to the prophecy in canon either. I actually find prophecies a little bit confusing and this one in particular because the plot is so intertwined and I was just listening to you guys then and saying there's a purpose and a reason for every single change in this prophecy and I didn't sort of look into it so I don't even know what the terror is if I ever found out I've forgotten what it was yes you you do find out what the terrible power is but 
the point of the change in prophecy is to facilitate a change in the particular timeline. It's all about perspective. I don't think that he somehow arrived in this timeline with some, you know, actual different sort of quote-unquote magical power. I think that whatever terrible power is either through time travel or brought about by the words of the prophecy, so it's sort of a cyclical thing. When I read it at this point, I thought the terrible power was his memories. When you think about it, the memories of the future, knowing what's going to happen, is an unfair advantage over Voldemort, so it's kind of like a terrible power. Yeah, but apparently that's not it, so I'll go on in ignorance till I figure it out. Well, I think yeah. that we should stop spoiling it for Cody and not say okay. things like that anymore. You stop talking. Stop talking now. Yeah, but see, when I read it, it didn't even occur to me to even wonder what the terrible power was. I didn't invest any time in thinking about that. As you're going through and you're reading this for the very first time, without any knowledge of what happens later in the story, you don't pay a whole lot of attention to the specific changes in the prophecy. But I think Ella took a lot of time to really think about the changes that she put into the prophecy. I thought about a lot of changes because they affect his relationship with people in a lot of ways. I did get that much. Yes, (laughs) I did get that much. Brilliant! I want to talk about the hat wanting to put them in Slytherin. Yeah, that's interesting. We do have this very sort of cunning, overwhelming world. I mean, you could say world domination almost, purpose. I mean, they want to shape the world how they want the world to be. And you can see that as a very sort of far-reaching, ambitious goal. Well, not to mention devious. Well, that too. I I like the line where it says... It's please. Harry felt as though he'd reached a new low begging a hat. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine the hat being like, well, you know, like taking bribes. It's like the the one, you know, we shook hands where he put Hermione in Hufflepuff in exchange for, you know, them having him lead the school choir or something. I was going to say, how do you bribe a hat? Well, apparently it's possible. The hat finally puts him in Gryffindor after Harry begs. And it says Harry was far too relieved to notice that there were far more speculative glances than applauding hands this time around. I just wondered what what people were thinking, I guess. It has to mean that I think because of the terrible power, I think everyone thought he was going to be in Slytherin. That's what I wondered. I I don't think it's just that. I I think that at this particular point, while Harry's not paying a whole lot of attention, the people that exist in this timeline know more about the current timeline than Harry does. And yeah. she's yeah. Just, just making a point that the the people in the timeline with Harry are different. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's all that that's because... all that that's meant to, to say is that yes, well Harry is still you know, he's still Harry, but things have changed and not only has things that he've changed changed, but the people around him are not yeah. exactly the same as they were. They think of Harry differently because they know the contents of this prophecy and it's got the word terrible and stuff in it. Because Okay, so, so if their realities in the, the future that Harry came from no longer exist, then the actions of three people have entirely shaped the lives of millions of other people because of this ripple effect. And the actions, uh. decisions of those three people <laughs> is just, you know, like that they literally changed the lives. And oh, okay, changed. I see what you're saying. It could be theoretically one person, the power yeah. to essentially change an entire universe. And how your decisions and the things that you do change things. This is, I'm just going to go off on a tangent because I got Twilight for Christmas, so I've been reading Twilight. Oh, and good Lord. <laughs> what? I think you've gone over to the bad place. I was just thinking how it was the same. Do you want us to come Alex. back later, Keza? Yeah. No, 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 like no, no. Gonna... Excuse me. There <laughs> is a character in Twilight. That's all I'm going to say. You need to be patient. There's a character in Twilight. 
you can see the future, right? But yeah. the future is subjective based on the decisions that people make. So I was just saying how I find it really interesting how authors in general interpret the decisions that people make and how it changes things. And it also goes back to canon, like Dumbledore tells Harry, um, it is not our abilities, it's the choices that we make, you know. So yeah. this is like a really big universal ultimate theme going on here. That's all I was thinking. I wasn't going to go on a Twilight rant. All I said was I've been reading it. What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? Because the same thing happens in Morgan Le Fay about Ron seeing the future. Forens tells him that the future's not set in stone. Yeah, exactly. I just find that a real fascinating thing to look at. Alice in Twilight who sees the future, you know, sometimes they look at her and go, what, what's going to happen? And she's like, I don't know. No one's made a decision yet. And I just found that really fascinating, that sort of concept that, you know, it's not infallible because it will change depending on the, the choices that people make. Okay. There was a book I read, and I read it, at, not fan fiction, actual book, that I read after <laughs> I read Nightmare of the Future of the Past and before I read this. And it's, it's called The Time Traveler's Wife. And I'm not sure if oh, anyone here has read it or heard of it. I looked at that in the bookshop yesterday and I debated buying it's, it, but I didn't. It's really interesting in the context of those two fics because yeah. I mean, the general plot, and I don't think I'm spoiling much here, is this man who sort of travels through time and he sort of meets this girl who ends up becoming his wife, but he, he kind of travels back and sees her when he's 42 and she's 6 and when he's, you know you know, 36 and she's seven or, you know, like all these different points in her life. So it, it ends up when he, when they finally quote unquote meet in the same timeline, like she knows all about him, but he doesn't know anything about her because mm. it, it eventually she asked like, how do you know me? And he eventually says, you're my wife. And, you know, in the reality I know. And so it starts out with him knowing all about her. And then she sort of has to do that in reverse. And then it's just interesting because is he affecting her life by telling her about the future that he sees? So is he creating the future he sees by telling her about it? You know what I mean? Because it was really yeah. interesting in the context of this because it talks about, like, whether we create destiny sort of... Because that one is very much, like, fate. Like, what is going to happen is set in stone. It cannot be changed. It should not be changed. But I think that I don't really like that interpretation because it has more of a, there is a complete and set pattern to the universe that will be followed regardless of human action appeal to it. And I think in this fic, you see a lot more of um, we can change future, we can change fate by the dint of our own actions, which I think is, first of all, a better well, way of looking at life, and second of all, a more accurate <clears throat> way of looking at life. I'm not going to spoil things, but in, okay. the, in, the, in the sequel, <laughs> um, the rules of time travel are explained. Oh, um, yeah. And, That's what um, I was thinking when she was talking about that. Yeah, yeah, and you learn some of what's going on here and what's changeable and what's not changeable, and not everything can be changed. Um, no. So there are certain events within the historical timeline that you know they're trying to go through and deal with here, but there are things like, that are okay. possible and there are things that are impossible. Like See, I'm, and now I'm wondering, say like, her, like, say like Ginny and Ron went back, and for some reason, like not that they would, but say like hypothetically, they like stopped Harry from going to Hogwarts somehow. Like if, or say like, you know, someone evil went back in time and tried to stop Harry from being born or something. There are things that can't be changed, and that'll be explained in okay. the sequel, and I'm not going to say anything else. All right. And okay. Neither of these two. <laughs> you stop talking. Stop talking now. <laughs> 
So speaking of decisions that, that people make, one of the decisions that I wanted to bring up that they made was the decision to be nice to Percy. Yeah, I thought um, that was really interesting. I loved that decision. Yeah. Here's what I've often wondered about Percy, is that Percy's in Gryffindor. I don't think you really get to see a lot of Gryffindorish stuff. I disagree, oh, okay. going in so far as that going out on your own and going completely against your family and everything that you know to stand up for something that you believe in, whether what you believe in is right or not, that takes courage. So I don't consider Percy and Cannon to be a coward. Um, I consider him to be short-sighted and probably slightly power-hungry, and I see him more Slytherin-ish in that perspective yeah. because he's willing to compromise I mean. his morals for ambition. Well, I mean, you remember what kind of was said what Amy, in the movie, too, when Ron was sorted oh, you're a Weasley, I know just what to do with you, you know, like, I think that yeah. went into its degree. I don't think the Sorting Hat is entirely impartial and goes completely based on traits. I mean, it goes on will, partially. Percy, I think he subconsciously wants to be different, but I think he still doesn't want to be labeled as different from his family. And I've often yeah. wondered when these tendencies set in, because they seem like not exactly the kind of tendencies you'd have growing up in the Weasley household just because he's so different from the other Weasleys. So I almost wonder if he didn't start having that mindset when he got to school, because especially because he was in Gryffindor and not Slytherin. And I think the Percy we see in canon is like, in a vacuum, is a Slytherin. I mean, we could debate, like, why Percy did what he did, but I think a large part of it was just that it was simple and, and to a degree. I mean, you follow the rules, you do what needs to be done, and you are, to a degree, accepted, even though that's sort of superficial acceptance. I'm not saying that was right, but I'm just saying that, you know, he sort of was the black sheep of the family. You know, instead of rebelling, sort of, he kind of rebelled by anti-rebelling, if that makes any yeah. sense. But, well, um, he rebelled against that family. yeah. And I, I think he also sort of was, to a degree, sort of resentful towards his siblings a little bit. Well, more to the point, I think he was resentful to Harry. And I think exactly the reason that yeah. he's resentful towards Harry is that when Harry showed up, his family's life and his Hogwarts life, Percy was set up to be the star. He was the star pupil. He was head boy. And I think a lot of Percy's perspective is that Harry was getting attention that should have been focused on Percy, and he was getting it for breaking the rules and doing the yeah. wrong thing, while Percy's sitting here doing the right thing and doing the good thing, and people are paying attention to Harry. And I, I definitely think it's true that in canon, Percy is resentful of Harry, and a lot of it comes back to that, well, you know, here's this guy, and he always breaks the rules, and he does what isn't supposed to do, and he gets paid way more attention to than I did for my academic achievements. I mean, it's sort of like he doesn't really know how to kind of have this spontaneous, intrinsic, like to do things and have them work out right, and whether it's luck or inherent skill or whatever. So he tries to get there through the more conventional route. And I think it's just frustrating to him, and it seems like it comes so easy to Harry. Well, the other thing that I think has changed a lot here is that... Um, Percy's never really accepted by his family as, you know, one of the gang in canon. And what changes in this story a lot is Harry also isn't accepted as one of the gang within um, the yeah, Weasley family immediately. But in canon, or, Harry is yeah. immediately taken in and is more popular within the family than Percy is across the board. And, and I think definitely that makes Percy relate better to Harry, the fact that he's not loved by 
his parents and Fred and George are suspicious of him. And I just was kind of thinking of this. Is it true in the story that the prophecy came out before Harry's parents died? I can't really answer oh. that question without um, issuing another spoiler. Oh. You Stop talking. Stop talking now. That Harry was wondering what his parents would have thought knowing the prophecy. Well, his parents knew the prophecy. Okay. But, I mean, it's, that's, what I, that's what I meant. Because, you know, you, they talk about in canon a lot. Uh, you can tell that the Weasleys had a lot of respect for Lily and James. And I was wondering, I was just thinking about what the, what the dynamic would have been with Lily, James, and sort of the Weasleys and other members of the Order, if that sort of suspicion was. You know, that their sons might have this terrible power. And because I think a lot of what, at least initially, the Weasleys feel for Harry is sort of an extension of what they felt for Lily and James. In a first-person perspective, they knew that Lily died for her child, but well, there's never any indication. Well, I mean, they well, knew who they No, Molly there and Arthur that... were not in the Order in the First War. Well, I mean, if they, even they were in the Order, I mean, they were kind of in that circle, weren't they? We don't have canon well, evidence. When, when Harry gets the photo, the Weasleys are not in it. Right. And they're... I think that is a real indication wait, wait, of wait, wait, who was in now. that Order. Because I know a lot of fanfic writers have Harry's parents and Ron's parents knowing each other, and they have the Weasleys in the order. But I tend to go along with the picture that Moody shows Harry in Order of the Phoenix, and who is in there. And Harry doesn't, that I can recall, really, like he recognises Mad-Eye and, you know, the people that he knows, Hagrid and what have you. But the Weasleys are not in that photo, and I think that that is meant to tell us from a canon perspective that the Weasleys were not involved at that level, at that point. I guess they should have been. They had a whole house full of small children. Molly's brothers had been killed, and so I can imagine they've got a house, small children. Arthur's working in the ministry, very busy. Um, Molly's brothers have just been killed. They are going to be nowhere near the action. You know, they're not going to be in the order and and all that sort of stuff. Because the other reason is that they are a pure blood family, and although throughout the seven book series they're they're blood traders, I just at that point in, in time, you well, know, I mean, they're not necessarily... I mean, you get the idea that the wizarding community is relatively small, and I think they still would have I known... I never get that idea. Why do people keep saying that? Based okay. on the number of students that are in Hogwarts, and that's the, Yeah, but the... not all the wizarding kids go to Hogwarts. Stan yeah, I don't Park, think they it? knew Lily and James. I mean, they didn't intersect in Hogwarts years, I don't think. No. And, you know, I mean, they have no reason okay. to have known them. I mean, like, if I think the they would have wizarding known world them. knows each... Yeah, they would have known of them, probably, because they were probably, you know, sort of famous people. But I think they knew of them in the way that you, like, you know of, you know, famous people in your town. Yeah. You know, like, the way you know of... I, I can't think of an example, because obviously Fashion nobody else bits. Would do it. <laughs> The well, way you know of the queen. <laughs> in the same perspective, all these pureblood families are interrelated, so they would have had some degree of separation where they had some, some familial contact with them, but... You never get that impression from canon that they had ever spoken. They're a different generation. I don't know where we were going before that. Well, let's <laughs> use this um, opportunity to talk about the next thing that happens in the story, and that's they get the diadem right off the bat, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is smart. Yeah, definitely. I th- I, I love the one line. It's like, I think we've got our task for this evening, Severus. We'll all go kill the basilisk. <laughs> and they didn't actually do it, but it's, it's like, okay, so we're going to have dinner, clean the table, kill the basilisk. Like, it was just so matter of fact. <laughs> well, okay, let's, then let's talk about them telling Snape and 
Albus. Yeah, I, 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 that's the thing that I really <laughs> like about this story because you know me, you know my fanfic tendencies. But I, I really liked that they had him involved and they didn't have him like as an enemy this time around because of Harry's perspective on Snape. I'm really yeah. glad he got over that in this time around, which he wrote. We should, he well should have with the memories he had, but. You know, I think Snape's humor sort of adds a lot to this. You know, there's a line later, he's jumping ahead a little bit, there's a referencing what Umbridge said, and it's like, Snape stared at him, and you didn't kill her? You have more control than I thought! And I just love those little humorous <laughs> moments, it just like makes me laugh out loud so much. I like that just the general dialogue, they stuff up potions so they can come in the thing, and Snape is just outraged, and Ron and Harry are probably, you know, you can sort of see them going, you know, shuffling along, hands in their pockets, smirking at each other, yeah, we did it, we yeah. got it. Because they know, you know, what they know. And I like when Dumbledore's like, I'm pretty sure they're mad, but let's just ask them to make sure. <laughs> yeah. And Harry's like, Harry says to Dumbledore at one point, he's like, nice wand. And Snape's like, they're both mad. Snape's head <laughs> sounding triumphant. That's what the bedline meant. Potter's unhinged and he took Weasley with him and you can just see Snape going, all right. <laughs> they're mad. I was so right all along. <laughs> Well, I I, 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 I I love the lines you see in different things where it's like, impossible, the tears of Merlin is just a fairy tale. It's like, yeah, just like the Deathly Hallows, Ron told him. And I'm like, and for that matter, magic. <laughs> like, I, I love this perspective of it's like, oh, that's just a fairy tale, you know, because we don't, you know, make things fly or anything. This is my very favorite line of um, chapter two. Um, <laughs> are you thinking what I'm thinking? Ron asked Harry. Yes, Harry said. They both turned to stare at the wand Dumbledore held. He might just use the elder wand on us, Ron said. Oh, honestly, Snape said scathingly. We would never, ever say Snape scathed. We would say Snape said scathingly. (laughs) (laughs) It just made me laugh. (laughs) And I just had to, you know, bring that up. Snape is grammatically correct. Snape said scathingly. Just made me laugh. I think it's interesting they call Tonks Dora Lupin. Just like on a random, like completely unrelated note, just kind of looking through. But... <laughs> well, that's her name. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he, she never referred to that really in, in canon. Yeah. I like the way um, it's written that because you can sort of see that Harry and Ron are in control here. Because Albus and Severus are just like, they're mad. What are they talking about? They're just going, you know, this is a fairy tale. They are completely flabbergasted. Well, and it's kind of thrown like... on them pretty quickly. I mean, this is something that's, yeah. it's like parcel tongue. It's not really considered normal, even in the wizarding world. Yeah. See, so, I, and, but I have Ron to and disagree. Harry, I don't think Dumbledore's upset enough at the whole prospect of this. And I don't think he's angry enough about the fact that they came back from the future once they established that, you know, indeed... But do you think it's because Dumbledore's portrait is the one that told them to do it? I think that Dumbledore in the flesh wouldn't find his portrait infallible because Dumbledore always assumes that he's capable of making very huge mistakes. From his perspective, where he is in this timeline... I don't think he would think that any sacrifice would be worth giving up having won the war and coming back and taking another chance. But I think at this point he realizes it's kind of a moot point to chastise them for it. I mean, yeah, he can't do anything like, about it now. Um, if you were Dumbledore and you didn't change that now and you learned that your portrait was the one that told them to do it, would you just suck it up and get on with it? Because you've just been told Voldemort's going to come back and that he's got Horcruxes. And that ultimately you're the one responsible for these guys being here. The author refers to that in the next chapter when 
Harry and Ron get their first attention, and Dumbledore's like, I have no excuses for why I let you walk out of my office last night without asking you these questions. You know, he was so stunned at all of the revelations that they were bringing forward that he couldn't think clearly about what he needed to do. He wasn't yet to the point where he's like, okay, well, all of this crap happened. What do we do now? He had no clue. I think that's fair. So he may have also been too stunned to even be angry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to take in. Uh-huh. I like the parallels that are made throughout the story. I mean, they're very subtle and they aren't really a part of the plot, but just sort of between like Harry and Snape. There's the one line somewhere where he's talking about how angry Snape is at Pettigrew, and he's just saying Snape loved Lily every bit as much as he loved Ginny. I just really like that comparison. And it, there's this line in chapter three where it says, You don't like this idea, Snape said, suddenly staring at Harry. And just sort of him picking up on that that you really normally wouldn't have thought him to pick up on that. But I just thought it was a little bit of a, you know, very, very subtle, interesting dynamic throughout the story. I don't think I picked up on that. That was too subtle for me. How dumb are you? Throughout the story, Harry's understanding of Snape definitely changes a lot of of how the reader sees Snape. The fact that Snape is likable definitely does make this story different. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, there's this kind of question bandied about that people are afraid that he would turn into the next Dark Lord. It's something that just him choosing not to, and why don't people realize that? And they're just thinking that something's inherent in this person that could make him... That it's sort of, you you know, kind of from the story that it's the way he chooses to act that stops him from becoming the Dark Lord. But I think it's interesting that people don't necessarily think of other people like that. They think that you put these ingredients together and you're going to get the same thing. And I think that was just interesting because that was one of the points that was brought up in the article. They had all these similarities. And I think that was interesting because it sort of showed the point of view of people who don't necessarily take into account people's choices, maybe. I don't know. I just thought that was sort of interesting. I think the article itself bears some in-depth conversation as to, to what it means and where it came from. The way that the article causes everyone's interactions with Harry to change is definitely an interesting part of the story, especially yeah. in how it relates to how the Weasleys treat Harry as they go through the story. How mm-hmm. easily it was to bend their feelings for Harry with you know someone they didn't even know. Just words on paper. Clearly. Fame isn't everything. We've been focusing a lot on Harry and Ron and everyone. I really liked the letter that Ginny writes to oh, Harry. Yeah. Because I love their code letters and stuff. That's, I think yeah. that's really... This is one way that we find out a lot about how they were feeling in the future. It's not a straight flashback, but it says, My Harry, we've been back for nearly a week and I still can't believe this miracle. Mum and Dad are wonderful, just like we remembered. Bill stopped by for breakfast last Wednesday. Apparently he was in the country for some sort of Gringotts business and I fell off my chair. I've been on the verge of tears for almost every minute of every day and I'm not even at Hogwarts where I can see more people besides Mum, Dad and a brother or two. It's a bit more emotional because Ron and Harry are right in the thick of it and Ginny in this letter sort of brings it back back down to earth a bit. Ron and, and Harry have been, all right, we're going to get the Horcruxes, we've got to get Albus and Severus on side, we've got to get on with this. And Ginny is just, she's got the time to just soak it in and to really talk about that. And then the next part of that I liked, tell Ron to stop reading this now. Yeah. <laughs> Harry, I miss you. <laughs> you did very well at the train station, but that moment you looked at me from the compartment, I just wanted to run to you and hold you. So I was in the previous chapter when he didn't acknowledge her at the train station yeah. but I feel like we got some answers and Ginny finally sort of explains it, it to you but I really liked that because I think it provides a, a bit of a contrast 
and Harry's experience, how Ginny is just soaking up the emotions of it. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it sort of shows who Ginny was in a, in a big sense. One thing that comes up in Chapter 3 in their letters, um, and Ginny blowing up the kitchen specifically, and her getting the wand um, so that she can enchant all of these letters... One of the big issues I have throughout the story is their ability to do underage magic with no consequence. Um, well, she is in the Weasley house, so I think that's something to do with it. Isn't it, like, somehow cloaked by... I think they don't really pay attention to children of wizarding parents who do magic at home because there's so much magic going around anyway that they can't tell, and it's un- unenforceable. Yeah. Um, well, even that may be true, but still, Molly and Arthur would certainly pay attention to magic that was taking place under their house by an underage wizard because they're Yeah, but I don't think you get, like, a report in the mail, like, this is the magic that's been conducted your house. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you're you're Molly Weasley and your wand keeps disappearing, um, (laughs) that you're gonna notice. Well, if Um, you're a little last line, I don't know. And if, you know, your daughter blows up the kitchen, it's gonna be suspicious. Well, I think she (laughs) thought it was accidental magic, though. But accidental magic is something that routinely happens. That may be, but I reiterate the the point that they go out even later in the story and they perform magic because they're adults and they're out fighting this war and there are no consequences to that. And I would have to believe that if it is to be believed the way that it is in canon that the statutes against underage magic actually exist and there is supposedly a tracker, that none of that would have been possible. Well, a lot of times when they're enforced in canon, we see them being enforced for pretty much political reasons. I mean, the two times we really see them quote-unquote enforced is, I mean, I guess the one sort of impartial time was in year three. And then you have saying with the Dementors, which was largely done because of what's going on in that hole. I mean, with Fudge and Umbridge. And then we see it being used by Voldemort. So it was really only used the one time. And that was because he was in a situation where there'd be no, no one else who'd be doing magic. So I think it's sort of not incredibly strictly enforced. And it may be just sort of his situation is unique because he isn't living with anyone else who would be doing magic. I mean, him and sort of other muggle-borns, but I get the feeling that it's sort of not... not taken incredibly seriously if you live with magical parents, sort of. I don't know. Maybe, but it just seems like how closely they were able to track Harry's use of magic, especially in Book 5, where they not only knew that he used magic, but they used what spell he used and who was around. They'd be paying a slight bit more of attention to what's going on. It makes me think of, like, closed-circuit cameras at, like, department stores or something, you know, where it's recording all the time, but they only go back and look at it sometimes, you know? Like, they may have all these records, but if it's in, you know, a context where it's not a big deal, they may not go and look at it. The troll happens, and I love that that's a scene that even, like, time travel fix, they always make the troll scene happen. I think that's Um, one of the most important moments in the first book, is the troll scene. I actually really like that Hermione is clever enough to be suspicious of Harry and Ron, and the fact that they're getting away with things that they shouldn't be getting away with, and (laughs) they know things that they shouldn't know. You know, she's already calling them out before the troll scene happens, that, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I know you two are up to something. Yeah. Um... (laughs) You know, she's using that as kind of an impetus not to like them, and it's just driving Ron crazy because he's already <laughs> passed all of the indemnity that they actually went through in the first book. Yeah, it's like I'm going yeah. through this all again, and yeah. this time he realized he was See, an idiot the first time around. Do you think if you were Ron, and because I know at one point Ron is like all nervous or something, I think they're at the feast, and and Harry's like, yeah, just relax, and Ron's like, you don't know anything, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> Because Ron is all, like, nervous for Hermione. What if we don't get there in time? Do you think being Ron could have, in some ways, disadvantages? Because 
Harry and Ginny, they're, they're They have together. each other. They have each other. And Ron's not them, but it's not the same. Do you think yeah, that sometimes, as Ron, think, you might just want to punch something? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the biggest problem that, that Ron has is the thing that drives Ron and Hermione together is that they both enjoy their bickering and squabbling, and, you know, that's kind of their thing. Now he's at a point where he doesn't want to do the bickering and the squabbling, and, the you know, he wants to be the nice guy that, that opens the portrait yeah. hole for her and carries her books and, you know, does the whole bit. But that isn't what drove them together in the books yeah, and, yeah you know there is a certain risk that he could be some he could act differently and Hermione could go you know what um there's a million of you around and I you know have no interest in your your freckles <laughs> and red hair oh god <laughs> we're gonna have like like Ron Luna or something it could be that by being nicer and different that it changes how Hermione feels for him and you know maybe the friendship bond that Hermione made with Harry she instead forms with Ron and she doesn't she just doesn't feel yeah. that way there's a bit it's Halloween and Hermione's watching Ron with disgust or something and that was the problem because Ron was refusing to do anything to make her cry enough to go and hide in the girl's loop you know <laughs> and Harry's exactly. thinking I'm going to have to do it myself because they <laughs> need to do this and it's actually quite fortuitous that Lavender Brown steps in and does it for them but then Ron wants to beat Lavender up for it you know <laughs> and that made me laugh <laughs> well it made me laugh doubly so because he's mad at Lavender because you know yeah. <laughs> Lavender did what he did in the last timeline but also because yeah. that's Lavender, his yeah his future yeah. ex-girlfriend in the other timeline. That's an awkward relationship. And she's future the one... ex-girlfriend. That, that she's the one that's, <laughs> that takes the dig at, at Hermione and that, yeah, he just wants to kill her as a result. But she left out the flying lesson and the remember-all scene and... And really, he doesn't want to play Quidditch. Well, yeah. I get that he doesn't want to play Quidditch so he doesn't make the team, but that whole scene with Draco and... And Neville and rescuing the Remember All and that whole did that not happen or did that happen? What I any- wonder is what happened to the Remember All if Harry didn't get put on the team because like right. that doesn't change. Like Neville still gets a Remember All, Draco still takes it from him. But Harry doesn't rescue it. Yeah, or- I don't know. I think that's Harry- something we ought to write down and ask Ella in the interview. Yeah, you know? write that down. I am making a document called questions for Ella. I'm saying what so the first happened. question for Ella is, what does Deadwood Pecker mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I just, yeah, it's an interesting point, because while I understand that Harry doesn't want to be on the Quidditch team because he's got other things that he has to do next year and that whole bit, that scene is a very big scene in the whole canon aspect, and Harry sticking yeah, up it, for Neville and, and the whole bit. So either that scene happened or it didn't happen. Especially um, it, in this world where Harry has a terrible power, you'd think he'd need to make himself look good in front of people. <laughs> well, and, and he's friends with Neville already. He's trying to form that bond. He wouldn't form that bond by just letting Draco torment Neville. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm trying to think of like how you could swing it so that either he does it and Minerva doesn't see it. Maybe since he knows Draco's going to steal it, he grabs it back when they're still on the ground. Yeah, maybe that's happened. Maybe he just stuns Draco instead of uh, chasing him around. <laughs> yeah, because that's not going to raise any questions, but yes, it's a stunning spell. <laughs> 
Well, I think he isn't seeing the image thing at this point. I mean, I think he doesn't really get that perspective as much. You're right, because he doesn't really know what the Weasleys think of him because it hasn't yeah. been Christmas yet. On to the troll scene. On to the trolls. Because I have big problems with the troll scene. Tell us your problems with the troll thing. My problem with the, the troll thing is the dialogue that gets used and uh, Hermione actually, like, commending Harry and Ron because she defends them to McGonagall and saying, but they came to save me! I'm, I don't really see Hermione at any point in canon being the damsel in distress and going, oh, thank you for coming to save me! Um, I think she would have been more along the lines of, hey, if you two knew why I was in the bathroom, why didn't you tell a teacher? Hang on, doesn't by... she say that in canon, though, I think? Let she me says see. that in canon. That's Let's go canon. to the canon. I've got it right it's, it's, here. It's possible it's word for word in canon. I haven't read that book in many years, but <laughs> it, it doesn't I'll seem very Hermione-ish to me. Maybe I have a problem with canon Hermione. Yeah, Hermione says, okay, please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me. Miss Granger, Hermione had managed to get to her feet at last. I went looking for the troll because I, I thought I could deal with it on my own, you know, because I've read all about them. Ron dropped his wand. Hermione Granger telling a downright lie to a teacher. If they hadn't have, found me, I'd be dead now. I don't have any problem with anything that she says in canon right there. It's specifically the her saying that they came to save her and the way that that dialogue works within the scene, the, the way that Ella wrote it, that I didn't like. Let me Just, compare. I just went back and the battle between them and the troll is worse, so Hermione was probably more scared in this than in canon. It talks about how the bathroom is more wrecked than it was last time. Harry and Ron aren't um, showing any fear of what just happened because they knew they could handle the troll. For some reason when I read that, I don't know that Hermione would be as taken with, you know, the two of them charging in and being ready to take on the troll and, you know, oh, we came to rescue you. If they had come to keep the troll from finding her, I could definitely see that. But the whole rescued thing, just, oh yeah, we knew the troll was going to get you and we came to rescue you. I think that's a fair point, but I didn't like McGonagall going, and a very stupid idea. It just, it actually well, it sounds was. like... I mean, if you think about oh, it... Oh, it was, I mean... but I don't think it's the right dialogue for her. That's I think she would all, use all the word foolish, is... probably foolish, not stupid. Yeah. My, I just my, think my, it's, my... it's a dialogue choice, I just... That is a very important scene where they're cementing their friendship, and it just doesn't seem like the dialogue between the characters um, works in a way that it doesn't they would be cemented that, as friends. It doesn't, yeah, that's what I mean. It doesn't seem that Hermione is as sincere in being, like, it doesn't seem that this would make Hermione their friend the way right. it did in canon. And then she just kind of goes, oh, well, it did anyway. Especially since Hermione, I think, was more inclined to dislike them in this than she was in canon. And she doesn't tell the lie she told in canon. Right, which they, which sh shows she's not really, you know, enamored of them. Especially in canon, as soon as she tells the lie that, you know, she was partially to blame, she's cementing all of their guilt together. That they are now all accessories to the same yeah. crime. Whereas in this scene, it's still Ron and Harry that went off and battled the troll, and it's still their fault. Hermione didn't, objectively, Hermione didn't do anything wrong. By taking the blame for Harry and Ron, she's establishing the trio as a, as a thing. Right, 
that she's willing to go to bat for them just like they're willing to go to bat for her. See, I think I've never really looked at what it was about fighting the troll that cemented their friendship, but I think you're right. I mean, she was just in the bathroom at, at the wrong time. I mean, it wasn't her fault yeah. that the troll was there. Yeah, but she but bailed it was them them all... out of trouble. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> they, they rushed in and did something really quite foolish. And in a way, it's for Hermione to then stick up for them instead of dobbing on them, which is what she would have done. She would have said, yes, they're foolish, aren't they, Professor McGonagall? They should really be punished, you know, which is your normal Hermione response. They should have told she the teacher. Was, she should have been on the teacher's side, and she wasn't. She was on Ron and Harry's, and that's what... See, I've never really looked at that before. I think that's a very good point. Brilliant! So, yeah, maybe the troll scene's a little problematic. Okay, now we fi- next we find out that Harry is coming to the Weasleys for Christmas. Which I also which found odd, us- but I can accept it. <laughs> you can accept it. That's I think, right. I think at this point, even though Molly knows about the terrible power and she's read the article, I think she's willing to give Harry a chance. And I think it's just what Harry does later that makes it problematic. Yeah, because Harry looks really, really guilty. Thinking of Christmas, the Christmas that actually gets me, I think, is the next Christmas. Because Arthur is really suspicious because... Ginny gets taken down to the chamber and, you know, there's the whole thing where it's like, you know, it's they're they're blaming it on Harry. The bit with the Weasleys really got to me at the start of this fic. I was like, oh, this is terrible. And the the one that got me was that second Christmas where he doesn't get his Weasley jumper. So sad. I don't... The thing that got me was in summer. Let's go to Christmas. I don't think anything really important happens between Halloween and Christmas. It's just kind of stuff. Well, it goes straight to Christmas. Harry's aware that Mrs. Weasley thinks she's a bit dangerous. He says, I reckon that your mum thinks that I'm a bit dangerous to have as a friend mm-hmm. when they're at the bar. Right. If only Molly Weasley and Cannon had realised that. Just think of all of the trouble that could <laughs> yeah, have been but, Yeah, but Harry wouldn't have had the strength and the courage and everything to defeat Voldemort. Oh, well, no doubt, but, you know, Ron and Ginny would have been <laughs> much safer. And okay. I like where Ginny says, this. they're having a conversation at Christmas. It's really interesting watching them because they're being their real selves. You know, Ginny's like, I can't imagine Ron and Hermione without the arguing. It's like foreplay for them. <laughs> Ron shows that yeah, home to leave. I'm going to bed, he announced. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I would leave the conversation at that point. Don't talk about my foreplay. I'm leaving. <laughs> I wouldn't want to stick around to hear that discussed. <laughs> well, especially when you're almost 30 and Harry and Ginny are going to have to wait a while. Ron's going to have to wait a while longer because Hermione really is 11 yeah. years old. I think so. it was interesting yeah. that in this fic that Harry's really glad that he only feels like kissing her because it's really clear that the 30-year-old or however old they were, I don't think that... Were they 30? However, we'll just call them... And, and Ginny Tw- was 27. Yeah, it was, yeah. you know, in the 27-ish age, but then as you go through these years as they progress, then they also... They'll be 30. Right, yeah, they, they so have we'll just... 30 years of experience. And the urges that come with being 30 and not... The only thing that's gone back is their memories... They uh-huh. still have the 11-year-old bodies and the physiology and everything of the 11-year-old body. Like, Harry doesn't actually want to. Right, because he doesn't have um, hormones coursing through yes, him. he doesn't like... have the hormones yet. <laughs> okay, and speaking of Ron's hormones. I was aggravated with Ron's hormones. It's like, he's just one big hormone in this fic. You don't expect him to turn around. It's like, got to be oozy everywhere all over the castle. Hogwarts is going to be covered in, like, Ron hormone slime. I think Ron is infecting <laughs> us. His hormones. Well, it's like the hormones are bleeding out of the thick and all over my bedroom. And they're so hormonal. For a hormonal teenage boy, isn't that kind of normal? I don't know. I've never beaten one. <laughs> Where's Ryan when we Just- need him? 
But and... he's going to get the hormones and then it's going to be yeah, a real problem. Yeah, that's going to be a problem, <laughs> as we will find out later. Too many hormones. Like, obviously, Harry was full of them in Half-Blood Prince. But, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a oh bit boy, of a bagel chat. We're going to have a bagel chat later. <laughs> We're going to have to explain what a bagel is when we get there. <laughs> but yes, there's oh. no bagels this Christmas. Thankfully no so. But I don't think anything really significant happens at this Christmas. You know. Other than Harry doesn't get any good gifts from anybody. I think it's sad. I mean, it's just like the entire Weasley thing is mildly depressing through the thick, well, where I am, so no one say anything, but anyway. Yeah. I did note Harry and Ginny's disturbing talk about their sexual relationship when you're putting it into the perspective of, you know, <laughs> they're 10 and 11 and they're negotiating yes. exactly how many yeah. days they're going to wait until they have sex. And I love how Harry's like, we're going to wait until you're 14. And she's like, I'm so glad I talked you down. <laughs> she's like, you know, I'm going to keep working on you until I get yeah. it down to age I can live with. You know? I love how in fanfic it's always Ginny who's the one who's like, you know, who wants that more than Harry does sometimes. I think that's funny. I think that's in character. To be perfectly yeah, I, I do. He's not a very touchy-feely kind of person. He freaks out every time Hermione or Mrs. Weasley hug him. He's like, oh, they're touching me. And more to the point, Harry doesn't have any experience. Ginny has boyfriends throughout canon, so she's yeah. been here before. Har- Harry- Harry's experience was like, oh, but she kissed her. Kind of wet. Well, how was it? Wet? I mean, she was sort of crying. That bad it, I I'm sure Harry's kissing was more than satisfactory. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about this kissing thing. (laughs) And there is no dad at home explaining the basics of the whole process to Harry, so he really doesn't have any scope for learning anything about love throughout the books. Jenny has to teach him, so I think that's always very in character. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the reasons why Dumbledore is not surprised or maybe maybe he is surprised that Harry still has such a capacity and I think that talks um, about a lot about Harry's character, but that's canon. We're discussing a fan fiction. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares about canon? (laughs) One of the things that surprised me about the whole Christmas scene is that while I understand why the Weasleys didn't buy Harry gifts because they didn't have any particular feelings towards Harry at this point in time. I was really surprised that Harry didn't get gifts for the Weasleys because Christmas is about the spirit of giving and even though they may not have understood why he was giving them gifts, I still think he would have wanted to. I think they would have given him a small gift as well because if you've invited someone into your home for Christmas, you you give them a box of chocolates or something. I I would think that Molly would have given him some fudge or something. It may not have been a big enough deal to make to make note of in the story, but I would have expected to see some sort of gift exchange there. That may be because I always write that into my fix, and it's just something I always pay attention to, but it was just something that I was kind of surprised about. I was also kind of surprised that we didn't get a grilling of Harry from Molly Weasley, because she's read the article, you know, the mythical article. I think at she's just kind so. of more subtle. I think and she she's wouldn't go too out polite. Going, too polite actually... slash too scared. Well, that, I and I think that her way that. is not necessarily asking, but sort of just being suspicious and it has kind of a more dangerous effect well, she doesn't come out see and say it Molly Weasley being the type to ask leading questions to somebody trying to get them to say something that you know she wants to know one way or another so she's not asking you are you evil she says oh um here's a puppy what should we do with the puppy you know um, <laughs> should we kill it <laughs> That's a little bit. Would you like to eat the puppy or should we pet the puppy? (laughs) 
trying to establish whether or not people um, like to eat puppies or not. That's a very good indicator of whether or not they're evil. You're not quite evil enough. You're quasi-evil. You're semi-evil. You're the margarine of evil. You're the Diet Coke of evil. Just one calorie, not evil enough. Given the sensitive natures of Memories Unbound and the fact that they gave it to Hermione, I would have thought that she would have been immediately suspicious of that gift and been like, okay, um, what does this mean? Why are you giving me this book? Yeah, but wasn't that the whole point? They wanted her to get suspicious. I definitely did. I think she's saying the things much too pragmatically, that, like, these are the rules. I think she's kind of holding on to rules for dear life at this point in her life, and I think that she doesn't think this is possible, so she doesn't think of it as a reality. I mean, that's hard for her to accept some things. I mean, I think that's part of why Dumbledore gave her the Beatles of Bard. I think that she sort of needed to accept that things didn't always go by the rules, but I think that's part of her character. I, I definitely think that's true. I would have just loved to have a scene in there where, you know, they come back to school, and Hermione's like, um guys what's with the book um, you know, the, i like it and all but um why this book you're not going mad you're just as sane as i am i love luna i love luna that luna, luna knows. knows i love how it is that luna knows and even though i can't talk about how it is that luna knows i love that that's how she knows that was clear she says in the knows. chapter um, she doesn't specifically tell them because she doesn't actually know that she knows well, I think she tells them, but we just assume it's Luna being Luna. That's what I mean. You That's... don't realize whether or not it's significant. It's just Luna going, oh, yeah. And she spins a fairy tale around it. It's sort of like the opposite of the boy crying wolf that, like, they kind of always take her as crazy. So when she actually says something true, they don't catch it, you know? That's sort of really the opposite of the boy crying wolf. It kind of is the boy crying wolf. I guess, but it's in, like, a positive-negative way. It's a little different. Here. I think it's funny that this is um, such, like, a trope of fanfiction that Luna always knows. Like, when <laughs> when Harry and Ginny have, like, a soul bond, Luna knows. The reason that it's always <laughs> Luna that, that figures this, these things out is because, A, Luna's very observant. B, she's always willing to believe the unbelievable. And C, exactly. she's always willing to say what's on her mind, even if it's absolutely crazy. So it has to be Luna. She's think, the only one that would voice it. I think that she's a very useful character. I remember watching, um, I don't know, whoever that guy was on the, the making of the movie thing, and he was saying that both Joe Rowling and the scriptwriter find Hermione useful because if you need to slot in a piece of information, you just have Hermione find Yeah, her- Hermione and Dumbledore, <laughs> I think. And Luna is the other useful one because if you want something unbelievable or to be explained, or you want something pointed out. Like, I find it in my writing as well. If I want something really obvious, if everyone's dancing around the elephant in the room and I want it pointed out and I want them to talk about it, you just have Luna slip in some crazy line and everyone's suddenly talking about it because Luna has brought it out. She's put it in the open and she's not afraid to talk about it. Yeah, she's she's one of those useful characters. Everybody stand around and look at each other because they can't believe what Luna just said. Yeah. It makes, yeah. It makes for like, good moments. Thing, you know, something's happening and, and, you know, everyone's trying to push down their emotions and, you know, just get on it. And Luna just, you know, says something, you know, that makes everybody confront what they're feeling or thinking so that people can move on. What an interesting necklace. It's a charm, actually. Keeps away the narcos. Hungry. I hope there's pudding. I have a aggravation about the, and I don't know how to actually say this properly, but the obfuscamancy <laughs> or whatever, yeah. however that's pronounced. Um, obfuscamancy. It bothers obfuscamancy. me. Obfuscamancy. 
so much in the way that it's introduced and then having Snape go, um, yeah, why didn't I think of that in, in canon? Boy. Yeah, it was really, just really awkward. Um, <laughs> you, you think I would have thought of that? It was so obvious. Why, why wouldn't I? I can't believe I didn't think of that. You know, it bothers me that if it was that obvious <laughs> that they actually never got around to it in canon. And also that Snape wouldn't have admitted, oh, I never thought of that. I don't know. I think even the Snape <laughs> wouldn't have admitted that. I found it very difficult to comprehend because I'm dumb. <laughs> Just was yeah, like... That's why we put you in Ravenclaw. It's because you're dumb. No, I do. I have this trouble a lot with fix. I will be sailing along and I will just hit a snag and I just can't comprehend it. The Final Reckoning, the sequel to the Book of Morgan Le Fay. They are talking this blood potion up and I am just looking at it going, I have no idea. I've got out of it that it makes Harry strong. And I'm like, yep, that's all I need to know. Let's move on. And it's the same with this obfuscamency. Yep, it's going to block Voldemort. Let's move on. You know, <laughs> like it's too hard for me to go into detail sometimes when people make up stuff and they make up yeah. spells and, or when they like to get involved in the mechanics or something behind a spell. I like the oh, obfuscamency. I don't have a problem with the way that it works or the way that she explained that it worked. I just have a problem that it existed at all, and it was so easy for Harry to learn comparatively to Occlumency, and nobody yeah. ever bothered to bring it up before. Yeah, yeah. it was a little bit of a plot device, but hey. Yeah, yeah I think I sometimes you have to bring up things for a plot device. Yeah, I just think it could have been handled better if it had been something that was really difficult to learn, or that nobody knew how to teach, and so... Or Snape if they just suddenly it. discovered it, I think it might have been more believable. If I don't buy Snape knowing about it, because when you make up a spell you have to like justify why they didn't use it in canon and <laughs> you can't really yeah. this is way too obvious but then again I mean in canon he only needed really he only needed occlumency because he didn't have any memories of the future to hide like obfuscamency yeah. or whatever it is is only useful if you went back in time I guess <laughs> if, if they'd said that then I, I might have believed it but you know that, that it's not brought up that way, and it, it's that's why it bothers me. Is just all well, of the it wouldn't sudden. really make sense that way because there, I mean, you wouldn't really have whole science of mental magic made for something that's exceptionally rare. I it's, don't mean it only exists oh, yeah. for going back in time. I just mean Harry didn't need it. Oh yeah, I see. He didn't have memories of the future to hide. If it had been in Memories Unbound, which is where they found it, and it said, "Hey, by the way, if you're gonna go back in time, it would be a good idea for you to be able to hide your memories from the future." So here's a way you to know, do from it. Prying, from prying dark lords, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if if you're ever going back in time to defeat an evil dark lord, and he happens to be able to read minds, here's a way to protect yourself from that. Uh-huh. So Harry and Dumbledore have gone to do something. In chapter five. And Harry has breasts, which I found fascinating. <laughs> Move past the <laughs> fake boobs. <laughs> they're not fake, they're very real boobs. They're polyjuice boobs. I'm starting to think, mind you, that Ella's got a thing for polyjuicing people into members of the opposite sex. But would... that's another story for another day. <laughs> they, what, where did they go? They went to get. Um, to destroy the resurrection stone yeah they accidentally destroyed the resurrection stone so harry because he can no longer unite the three deathly hallows he now knows he is going to die okay i didn't get that whole thing did i miss that i Um, I, I mean that is one of the things i did get brilliant i'm so excited i'm so confused about that entire thing harry thinks that he has to unite the hallows 
in order to overcome death. Dumbledore never had the kind of explanation talk that no one got, but nonetheless Harry supposedly got about why X plus Y equals defeating Voldemort. And well, that's why this is OU, is because it AU. Oh, okay. um, this well, is why it's AU, because well, um, it, it's Ohio University. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know which what of Deathly Hallows did apply and what didn't. Yeah. So I, I don't. Yeah. I don't even remember that it said particularly that he did that the King's Cross chapter didn't happen in the in the backward yeah. with purpose Deathly Hallows. I just well, all I just thought was that Harry thought he needed to become the master of death to become the master that, of death. That isn't the case, right? Like that that's not what happened right. in canon. He just right. in what in so, canon never... what happened, Harry survived because inside him was a yeah. horcrux and it was the exactly. horcrux that died. But Harry doesn't yeah. know that in this. That really that's sense. what makes it a you kind of that he never found out why he died. Because okay, in okay, canon, he never gets the Elder Wand. He's never the master of the Elder Wand at any point um, until he actually really at any point ever. So that couldn't have Wait. been what saved him in canon. But they do allude to the fact that he believes that's what saved him in the, the He's the master of the Elder Wands. Yes, he is. He's the master of the Elder Wands since he d- disarms Draco at Malfoy Manor. Exactly, yeah. That, uh, that, yeah, he did have it at that point. That wasn't the Elder Wands. No, Snape killed no. Dumbledore. No, 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 no. Draco tried to kill Dumbledore. And he d- tried, um, but he didn't. Draco he did disarm him. him, and Draco was the master of the Elder Wand for almost he a year. Him. Until Harry yeah. took the wand so, from Draco too. at Malfoy Manor, and even though exactly. it wasn't physically the Elder Wand, he was still the master of the Elder he, Wand because he, he took a. Because remember, from it was Draco who did expel Yarmus, and the wand went flying over the tower, so he disarmed him. I think him. the thing, Lego. This I think is the thing exactly you're not, Lego. why I hate um, Deathly Hollows. Lego, the thing you're not getting is that about wand lore is that if you disarm, if you take somebody's wand, you if they happen to have more than one wand, you're the master of all their wands. Um, well, yeah. it also doesn't make any sense because um, every time that they disarmed somebody in Dumbledore's and army, I, um, he would have had to go get a new wand. It applies to the Elder Wand. The Elder yeah. Wand is the wand with the power that transfers to Masters. A lot of people go on about wands in general, but this is the Elder Wand, and it's one of the Hallows, and it's got this legend and lore attached to it because it was created by the dude in the book, whatever. Death. It's not attached to everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. But, I don't yeah. want to get into it because it's a big, long explanation. It's just, you know, when you look back on the history of it, and it can't be stolen, and it's not mere possession, but then when you look back about how Gellert got the wand in the first place, then he just stole it from its master previously. But so You have to defeat the other person. You have to better them to get it, to, to possess it, and he does do that. I mean, what if, I mean, if someone gave it to someone of their own free will, would that work, I wonder? I mean, I can't remember if that happened, or, I mean, like, Probably say... Probably, because you're surrendering it. It's a I guess, that's surrender. true. That's true. Exactly. In this fic, Harry believes in the legend that he's united... Because I know a lot of people came out of Deathly Hallows thinking this, because I remember having a discussion with it right after it came out. They are all going, oh, so Harry was the master of the Elder One and the Deathly Hallows, that's how he survived. I'm like, no, he survived because of Lily and the Horcrux and all that stuff. In this one, Harry thinks it's because of the Hallows, and he doesn't realize okay. it's because of... I think that's slightly badly explained, because... I don't think it's obvious that he doesn't know that from Deathly Hallows, you know what I mean? I think it's obvious, first of all, it's plenty obvious here why he thinks he lived the first time he died, because he keeps angsting about it for the rest of the fic. 
Because the rim. Oh no, that's a spoiler. You were talking. Stop talking now. I just mean like where I am right now. I mean, it just seems like what I thought is that there was something I didn't know from the future that we weren't told. I didn't know whether it was from things from Deathly Hallows that I should know, or whether it was like the shaded future that we haven't that haven't been told to us because we'll find out later. And it's one of those he, character knows but we don't know things. I think you they, get it from here what he thinks because yeah, they are yeah, beginning but- to explain it here. It's not like cemented in stone at this point, but Harry does have the, the mental contemplation at this particular point in time. I didn't time, get if it was Nielsen, that, or if yeah. there was some further purpose that we didn't get because we didn't know about it, just because because well, of the premise of the fic. It says it feels a mixture of relief and foreboding, and he says immediately, don't tell them, thinking of Ron well, and yes. I mean, I know How that, like, that's... Reacts to the uncertainty of Harry's survival. I just thought that there was something else, like some other reason that he needed that, other than just he wanted to unite. Like, like I just thought that there was some no, other reason. No, that will become more obvious as well. I was the happy end, to finally get... The end of chapter 5 is what? when they destroy the ring, so the beginning of yeah, chapter 6 article. Oh, no, I, yeah, I, no. I thought it was finally good to get to read this article that they... Uh, that yes! ...alluding to again and again. Going on about again. it. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, well, that's what it says. Where is it? <laughs> the letter that shall not be named. Or shall not be actually <laughs> read, rather. Named, but not read. And, and it's, I think it's especially nice. important because she relies on it so heavily to change the plot of the overall story and how everyone feels about Harry and the whole bit. So it, it was good to finally get it. I, I thought it was a bit anticlimactic to read it and go, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah so... Um, I got really caught up on the entire thing about it being anonymous and that it was like somehow the Daily Prophet took random anonymous owls they got and ran them as stories. It's like the scathe thing with Chi. That it wasn't meant to be a sticking point, but it ended up being a sticking point because I ended up thinking for like 20 minutes about like anonymous sources and like if anyone knew, if you could go through like the bureaucracy of the Daily Prophet and figure out who it was. So that was kind of like an unintentional sticking point for me. I'm weird and that was what I thought. I think because it was so, you know, scandalous yeah. by, by them taking an anonymous article. Articles and wrong. letters are usually anti-climatic skippable because the important stuff they talk about. Yeah. If, like, you get a letter from Ginny where she's like, Hi, Harry, how are you? Like, how's your summer going? How are the Dursleys treating you? You don't need to read that because if there's something, like, important in the letter, Harry's going to think about it. (laughs) That's why articles and letters are usually skippable. Year one reads as a bit slow, especially after this point in time. Um, you're just It's mostly scorekeeping about, okay, they did this, they did that. Um, but there's there's nothing really going on. Man, they take point. Neville with them at the end of the year to defeat Quirrell yeah. and everything. But, that's but all, it's, it's not... all a bit clean. I found that ending a bit sanitized because they were a bit too, you know, because they knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. And so I just found the ending a bit sanitized. It was sort of like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? I, I find, like, every time there's, like, a, a, a redo, because I always find this with redo fix, is it seems like as they're hitting their stride in the writing of the fic, first year is the most unendurable. First of all, it's the part which has the least changes because the ripple effect hasn't hit. It's so formulaic because when you're writing a redo fic, before you really hit your stride in this alternate universe, you're just sitting there with the book in your lap, you know, being like, okay, well, because of this, this has to change, but otherwise it's the same. So I think that's why always going, every time they go after the stone, it's the same every time. Yeah, because some things have to happen the way they did before. 
So there's a I big guess. thing that happens in nine that definitely never happened before. <laughs> really? And you, wouldn't, you mean Harry using the Imperius curse? No, I'm <laughs> just... <laughs> they're at the trial thing, and Harry used magic to tie Ron up. Oh. <laughs> uh, you, you haven't read any, any fanfics in which that happened before? <laughs> I generally don't read Slash. Ah, okay. <laughs> Can we rewind for a second, talk about the... Um, Lack of a sweater? The writing in the diary. The controlled writing in the diary. Because oh, that's interesting. They, they realize they have to let it happen. You know what I liked about this, though? Normally, they Harry's going through the anguish, and he has to let it happen because Ginny has to fall in love with him. And I like the fact that this one, they're completely unworried about that. So that when she does get taken, it's a real shock for them. The reason they want to do it is a lot more simple. They need to get the sword of Gryffindor, and they need it impregnated with the bas- basilisk venom. That's why it has to happen. There's none of this angst over the relationship, which I found fantastic because I'm sick of... This is well, kind of interesting, and I don't know if this is because like of the, the reason that DH went AU in this, or because maybe Ella didn't realize, but I thought that the reason that the sword of Gryffindor could destroy the Horcruxes was that a goblin-made sword is just one of the things that can destroy Horcruxes. I didn't. No, I don't it, think I, it has no, it was to be impregnated with venom. It was a, a in Deathly made, Hallows. A goblin made does, it, does it a say goblin. in Deathly Hallows that it's because yes. of the venom? The, yes. Oh, the deal. Okay, yes. Yeah. The deal is that a goblin-made sword can 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 go ahead and absorb the oh, I see. The, the killing force of something that it's killed. And so when you kill a basilisk with a goblin-made sword, it gets impregnated with basilisk venom from that point forward. And so what they really need is a goblin-made sword that's been impregnated with basilisk venom. And okay. I would think. It would be incredibly irresponsible for them not to get a backup goblin made sword just in case Gryffindor's sword <laughs> didn't show up. Yeah. <laughs> because really, you can just because buy those things at, like, you know, the everyday well, Walmart, you know, the Withering Walmart. I wouldn't say Ew, that they're necessarily really, really common, but you would. Dumbledore would be able to get his hands on one, I would think. Because yeah. um, you're going through all of this trouble, and you're, you know, and making Jenny go down wanted to... Used Gryffindor, wanted a used goblin-made sword. <laughs> Sorry, I just... Well, Are there any even... sellers on Amazon? <laughs> uh, Harry's got a lot of extra cash. I'm sure he could afford to buy one if he really needed one, but... Um... Black market. <laughs> uh, you know, there's probably one rattling around in, you know, the Malfoy's basement somewhere. They could have just gone and robbed the Malfoy's. Oh, that that would go over well, because there's no security system there or anything, probably. Well, it's, like, it's not like there's a Dark Lord running around Malfoy Manor yet. Anyway, it was just, you know, kind <laughs> of my thinking of, they desperately need Gryffindor's sword, but apparently nobody thought of going and just getting a different sword. Well, I don't know if a different sword will work. Have right, tried that's it. something I wouldn't want to risk, you know? I yeah. mean, there's some things you have to let happen because you aren't sure why it worked yeah, the exactly. first time. Well, I think that's... they are sure why it, it worked the first time. That that was pretty well established in Deathly Hollows that you could use Basilisk Venom to destroy... That was one of the, like, three things you could use to destroy a Horcrux, and it didn't matter where the Basilisk Venom came from. It just... You could use Basilisk Venom. So theoretically, could they, could, they, could they just have, like, created basilisks and then, like... Like, if you can make one by, isn't it, like, hatching a chicken egg under a fire or something? Or whatever it was. I'm not it's absolutely like familiar with the process, the process of making a basilisk, but... I think, Cody, so if you could do that, then there'd be a lot more basilisks running around, because all you have to do is run out to Shaw's and get a dozen eggs and 
stick them in the fire. <laughs> but, but don't they flee before roosters and stuff? Wouldn't it make it kind of hard to get it out of the chair? Like, they're like moth enemies, right? <laughs> I don't remember what the process was, but it was something along those lines. Cody, it's a chicken's egg hatched beneath a toad. Okay, that's what it is. Well, still, a toad <laughs> is not like the most hard, the hardest thing to find. So in you the just world. get Trevor and an egg hagrid, <laughs> and it's all good. Get you know because Trevor is not hard to far. pin down. <laughs> all right, moving right along. Um, is that like a basilisk farm and get like arrested by PETA or something? Well, I would think a basilisk is a protected species, so Harry <laughs> definitely would have gotten in trouble for slaying one. I mean, come on. Probably can't even harass one. Yeah, like, I, I would love if, like, the end of Deathly Hallows is, like, they defeat Voldemort and, like, PETA comes and, like, takes Harry in for a lawsuit because he killed the basilisk. It's like, okay, you rode a dragon illegally, you killed a basilisk. <laughs> this entire, like, lawsuit from, like, the, you know, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and, like, you know, he's landed on a frivolous lawsuit. You've got explaining to do, Potter. <laughs> I'm sorry, but killing a basilisk is a 5,000 galleon fine and a five-year prison sentence. You're going to have to go to Azkaban. <laughs> no, actually, it's like before he killed Voldemort. So, like, it's like, but I have to defeat a Dark Lord. That's no excuse. <laughs> okay, let, let's talk about getting Wormtail. No, let's talk about the, the lack of a sweater. That killed me. Yeah. Oh, that killed me as well. Absolutely. I just wanted to curl up in a little ball and die. How could, Jeff, how could Molly do that? Because Molly she is annoying. Because she I, does I, I, I trust him. Well, I don't like that Molly is so believing of whatever the Daily Prophet says, which is just kind of it's kind of part of her character in general, but it's I mean, me. think about it. She does it in canon. She, when she reads the... Bonnie. Yeah, that's just part of her character in general I don't like, but it's heightened here. But I, I think, think it's perfectly believable, but it just makes yeah. you feel Harry just so much. And Ron and Ginny as well, because they know what it means, and it, you know, you can just sort of see him sitting there and with his little packet of fudge, <laughs> you know. And it would be almost worse because Ron and Ginny would be looking at him like, yeah, we know too, you know. I'd, if that was me, I'd be like, don't look at me, don't look yeah. at me. You know, I'd want to go and crawl in a hole and die. I thought it was very, very well orchestrated and interesting. They're going to make it so his, the prior incantatum is right, and they're going to modify his memory and you know, do the confund. I mean, it was very well planned. I'm very- glad they thought that much because I thought it was really cool. Well, I thought the most important part of that scene was Percy walking in and getting the Cruciatus curse thrown yeah. at him. And- Harry stepping in front of it. And I think that's really where you see the beginning of a friendship between Percy and Harry, because Percy just can't, can't comprehend that Harry would do this. He just... I agree. It's very interesting because, in a way, you're seeing Percy break with his family in a different way, because he's or, the only yeah. one that trusts Harry. And it's almost like, instead of breaking with his family, and it's like Harry and, and the Weasleys, and on one side, the other side is Percy, it's like Percy, Harry, Ginny, Ron, and the other side, the Weasleys. And it's just a different break, you know. And I think but, that all that was set in motion when they decided to treat Percy differently at the beginning. Right? Yeah. Like that's why I see, found that, that decision so that important. In the car, when they're going home for Christmas, I think it must have been first year, where they keep talking about how they're going to be nice to 
Percy because of Always and Always. Yeah. Like, that brought tears to my eyes. Kaz's point, you know, with the whole trial thing, I, I thought Umbridge's accusation of improper behavior between Harry and Ron was too vague. I didn't pick it up the first time I read through that. I wasn't sure. I'm like, am yeah, I reading too much into this? Yeah, I, I saw the really, exact same thing. That, if that's true, then that's really bad of Umbridge. Like, maybe I'm just... Well, you know, I didn't that's pick what up everyone saw, though. until that's what they were going to bed and the prefix says one of the prefects says oh long bottom you better go with them they might need a chaperone and that's when it all clicked for me and I'm like oh that's nasty <laughs> you know she wasn't just you know oh do you and Weasley tie each other up a lot <laughs> well I think I got it because everyone was saying it was inappropriate and I'm like well why is it inappropriate and they just sort of took yeah. it that way because everyone was reacting that way yeah but. I mean I don't it's fairly subtle but um it is but <laughs> that was just a, I mean, they're what, like 11 at this point? 11, 12? I mean, it's just like. Uh, Ron would be. Is Ron 13 yet? No. It would have totally yeah. gone over their heads if they were actually that age. They, yes. Yeah, they wouldn't really And that's why it. I think it's interesting that the prefix were the ones that brought it up. Ron and Harry got it, and Ginny would have got it, and all the adults in the room got it, but, you know, like Neville probably had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Unless he'd been listening to the gossip. The climax of Chamber, we get Ginny taken, they go after her. Yeah, I was so terrified when the Oblivia came. I know, I was so scared. I'm going to say, from Obliviate to the end of this, I pulled an all-nighter. Keza yeah. knows. I, um, yeah. I kept I aiming kept Keza, <laughs> telling her about how I was going to stay up and finish the thing after the Obliviate. You know how some authors, they just, like, beat Harry up? You know, like Melinda Leo, how she beats him up and has Death Eaters crush his fingers and throw red duck toes at his knees. But I think that Ella does it psychologically. Melinda <laughs> Leo, <laughs> she beats Harry up. Um, Ella does it a lot yeah, more psychologically. It's crazy because not only did Harry lose his memories of what had happened the first time so he couldn't really properly defeat the Basilisk, but because it was such a big thing, Harry and Ron nearly broke their cover in front of Neville. Yeah. yeah. You know, Ron was this scene, really going to kill Lockhart. Right. I think the only reason it, that Neville's included in this scene is to prevent Ron from killing Lockhart. Yeah, Otherwise, he doesn't have Neville a reason not to kill there, him. If Neville wasn't there, Ron would have killed yeah. Lockhart. Like, Neville was there with the first one. I think it's also it's a plot a device or part of the Neville story arc. Of- I thought you were saying Neville was there the first time, but you mean going after Quarrel. Oh, no. He joined them when they did the... Um, the Stone well, at the end of this one. He's joined yeah. them at the end of this one as well. Like, it's right. bringing Neville into it. I feel like Ella really is just like, let's psychologically do stuff to Harry rather than have him actually physically... Yeah, well, Harry's yeah. fun to torture. I, I can, you know, I can totally relate <laughs> to her as an author. I love to torture Harry, so I can see why she'd want to beat him up and torture him a little psychologically. I, I, I can relate to that. Yeah. Do you think that psychological torturing and beating up is powerful than physical? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, Especially with Harry. Tortured yeah. soul, yeah. I think, is better than a, than a tortured yeah. body. I really don't like the fix where Harry like gets beaten up and is like sick all the time and stuff, but this, this is this really got me. Are we ready to move on to the real gut wrencher now? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> poor Dumbledore, Speaking man. Speaking of psychological torture of poor little Harry. He apparently uh, called the parents a little too soon, is what I got from that. Maybe you should wait until they're back before you notice by the parents that um, their child has been taken to the Chamber of Secrets. Because <laughs> <laughs> having yes. to sit with them in the office while you do nothing about it, that, that, yeah. that can't be yeah. comfortable. 
Because, see, the thing is, it's like, poor Albus, because it's like, he knows what's going to happen. But right. since he hasn't experienced it, I mean, you know, like, I'm sure in yeah. canon they weren't just sitting there. I'm sure they were trying to do something. Well, he well they didn't turn up until after Ginny and Harry had, Ron had okay. come back. Right. But I'm see, right, but... I mean, like, just like these little miscalculations he makes because he doesn't know enough about the future because he didn't live it. Yeah. Well, and exactly. specifically, I think Ron and Harry probably told him, oh, you know, after we disappear, it'll take like an hour. Yeah, and, you know what we're you know, doing. The hour ticks by, and 90 minutes goes by, and the two-hour mark goes by, and now you really got to start to wonder, did they go down there and get themselves killed? And poor Do- Hermione. <laughs> Having to stand up to Ron and Ginny's parents about the fact that Harry isn't an evil bastard. Potter knows <laughs> about the Imperious Curse. It could be another spell he practices on Ron. I mean, God, it it kills me to see Molly act like this. I know. I mean, uh, God, I mean, I just want to smack her. I know. <laughs> oh, God. Albus Dumbledore feels impotent. <laughs> and the well, reason I a, say that is he's because a very Ryan, old man. <laughs> Ryan wanted me, this made Ryan laugh, and he wanted me to bring up the impotent life. He's in the room with Ginny's parents, and they're discussing how evil and dark Harry must be. And Albus knows the truth. And he feels impotent like he hasn't since he was 18. And I'm thinking, why would an yeah. 18 have felt impotent? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I said to Ella, I'm like, what's going on here? She's like, oh, you know, the Grindelwald thing. And I'm like, she's not thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bit strange because her current her current life journal icon is a dancing banana with the word penis <laughs> I, I think it's pretty clear that um, Dumbledore learned Petrificus Totalis at age 18. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see what the question is here. I mean, we've been over this before on the podcast. That must be such an inconvenience to have to rely on Petrificus Totalis for most of Do you have to renew it at some point or go to someone? <laughs> you know, like on the Viagra card? It's Totalis. It's, it's permanent. <laughs> Well, if it was permanent, that'd be kind of awkward. There's a reason why wizarding men wear robes. <laughs> I'm thinking very bagelish, but I'm remembering how Hermione cast a petrificus to tell us on poor little 11-year-old Neville, and I'm wondering if it worked. <laughs> Maybe it working. had some side effects. I mean, you know, it's Neville. I mean... I've always wondered why Neville was so shy. <laughs> Maybe that's why shy little Neville was able to get Ginny to go to the ball with him. It could be. But dancing would be really awkward. <laughs> Jill's just going to kill us. Did <laughs> <laughs> anything important happen in the actual fic? And- <laughs> oh, yeah, actually... We stay saved Ginny's life. Oh, that's kind of important. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, you want to know what made me cry is I'll always remember Ginny. When when he gets Ron to realize that he didn't forget everything, yeah, I'll always, I'll always remember, remember Ginny. Ginny. Um, well, and don't you just love how P.S. loves it and it's not making her vomit? Isn't that fantastic? Um, she really does love them! <laughs> I specifically can't believe that Harry gets his memory wiped and he can't remember how to kill the basilisk and Ron's like, oh yeah, um, you go. You go right now and go kill that basilisk. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry's like, I have to go by myself? 
if you did like, it the first damn time. Damn right, you have to go by yourself. Now go. I think that's Ron. You know, because I think if Ron had been a different person, like let's say it was Hermione that had gone. You know, I mean, if it was Hermione that was from the future or something, and that was down with them, I wouldn't have been surprised if she tried to go or something. You know, because I think okay. it's in Ron's nature to. I don't want to say it's in his nature to not help Harry, but do you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like I think yeah. if it was few different people other than Ron, they'd have either gone with him or done it themselves. Yeah. Well, I think it's not just that. I think they could have killed Lockhart because Neville wasn't there. Then Ron could have gone with him, but he couldn't take Neville with him and then go, yeah. all right, Harry, here's how you kill a basilisk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just know this because I read the idiot's guide to defeating the Dark Lord in which it <laughs> describes how to defeat no, Chapter three, killing basilisk. <laughs> here's what you want to do. Give your wand away to the Dark Lord and then... <laughs> Run away from the basilisk and show loyalty to Dumbledore so that Fox will come to you and drop a hat and then pull and the Gryffindor's sword, sword out of the on hat. Your head. Don't let it fall in on your head because that's kind of painful. And then shove the sword up into the basilisk's head, getting, you know, deadly fatal venom in you. And then hope that the phoenix cries and that you you live. You know? Yeah, and I think yeah. it's funny. I mean, not, not funny, but horrible. How, like, Ginny, who is dying, is, like, telling him what to do. He's like, that's Gryffindor's sword, Harry. <laughs> Play the monster for me. She's like always the one who's like dying. She's like dying here. She was like hit by the sectum semper. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, if you're gonna torture Harry, it's it's Ginny you go after. So true. I feel bad for Neville here with Ron. Ron is terrifying him because Ron oh, yeah. is acting so weird. Because he wants to kill a teacher? Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely <laughs> well, think you know. that would be a little dramatic. My big complaint with the whole scene in the Chamber of Secrets is that Fox does not get enough airtime, because I love Fox. Barely gets a mention, and he's, you know, instrumental in this whole process. I, I really, you know, I, I always like it when Fox gets a little on-screen time in fanfics, because I he didn't get enough time in canon. And the thing here, am I making it up, or do they, or am I forgetting it, but do they not use Fox as evidence that Harry must be trustworthy? I don't remember. Then they should have. I don't remember that. But it's not really provable, is it? I mean... Well, well, I mean, phoenixes, I mean, they're like pure special creatures. Yeah, but like, how are you going to prove that the phoenix was in the place that no one saw and gave him a mythical sword that... Well, Fox would tell him. Yeah, yeah, totally I mean, took him the sword. Fox well, the doesn't have that, a comprehensible language, does he? But Fox clearly likes Harry. That's the thing. I mean, it would have, like, sat on his shoulder and stuff. <clears throat> I don't, I don't like, know. I'm not sure Molly is really into that right now. You know, her daughter almost died. I don't think she's, like, t- picking up on the habits of the animals. We don't have the pedo rep here, so he's not really looking into the habits of the different magical creatures. The thing that got me is that they couldn't find Sirius. Yes! Sirius I mean, did so not go right to Harry. Him. I was worried that, like, Sirius was, like, you know, not bad, not bad, but, like... I was afraid Sirius was afraid of the terrible power, too. Yes. I I saw the exact same thing, and I was so scared. I would have been so upset if that was the case. And I was so glad when, you know, later, that's found. And then we get to... That didn't bother me at all. (laughs) Heart of stone. (laughs) You know, I knew that Sirius was going to turn up eventually. He's like a bad penny. He never turns up. (laughs) You ruined angst, you know that? And then we get to Uh, summer, and we get to see Molly sees Harry, Ron, and Ginny talking about Aunt Marge. Oh, yeah. And that really gets her suspicious. She's like, you can't just attack people because you don't like them. (laughs) I think she's overestimating. Like, you know, when you're 12 years old, you're like, oh, you know, I hate this teacher, and maybe I can put something in her dream. You don't actually... I mean, you like, you joke about it, but I think that it's just because of what she takes it, you know. 
based on the kind of person she thinks Harry is, uh, yeah. she believes he's capable of it. But she believes that because she wants to believe that. Well, he has a terrible power. This is something that she knows, and it's all related back to the terrible power. But Something that was um, in a prophecy. I mean, it's like not like it's indisputable evidence. She's believing it because she wants to believe it. I don't I mean, have I don't... a problem with, with Molly admonishing her children for um, discussing killing a teacher. I think that's appropriate. What I yeah. what, what killed me, what absolutely just, like, just murdered me was Arthur. Arthur. The thing is, that is, that is the time that, I had to stop. I had to go away from the computer and sob. I couldn't that believe really... that when I read it, and it was it was great. It was well done. It was wonderfully done. But when I read that, I'm just like, oh god, that that can't that be Arthur. The, That's not that Arthur. The most wrenching scene in the whole story. I Arthur yeah. turned him away. I can't give him that. And it's just like, oh, I, that was horrible. That was wonder... up there with the sweater. I feel like Ella was just carefully picking it apart one little step at a time, just knocking Harry down one little bit oh. at a time. And then what Percy thought... coming to his defense. Yeah. While, while I thought that was interesting. Percy seeing how his parents are reacting to all this, and it's kind of like you wonder, and I'm just wondering if that's going to have some kind of impact See, later. That's the thing, because this is exactly Maybe. the opposite of canon, because in the yeah. canon, Percy's gut inclination was not to trust Harry, and even though his parents did trust Harry, he saw that they were wrong, so he stood up for what he believed in and left the family. And so, and in this, his gut inclination is to trust Harry, and his parents yeah. don't, and he sees what they're doing is wrong. I just, it really killed fun. me when Percy's talking to him and Mr. Wacy says... Harry wanted something from me that I didn't feel comfortable giving him. And I'm just like, that was the bit that really got to me because it just was like he knew that Harry wanted something and he couldn't give it to him, didn't want to give it to him. He didn't feel comfortable with Harry and it just that was the bit that absolutely killed me. Percy challenging his father and saying, hey, look, you're not who I thought you were. He's a 12-year-old kid. If you turn Harry away. I thought that was a very special moment in the, in the story because that happens to every kid when you realize that your parents are not infallible, that they make mistakes, that they make decisions, yeah. and more specifically, that they teach you to behave in a certain way and they can't live up to it. That happened to me with my parents, you know, when I got to be a teenager and, you know, they had taught me these life lessons about the way that you treated people and the way that you acted. And then, you know, the first time that I saw them actually not live up to the standard that they had taught me to believe was very disturbing and I think you get to see that from Percy's perspective here where you know he's seeing his dad turn someone away and not care and he's like dad how can you you know he came to you for help and we always help we're Weasleys we help people and you shut him down how could you do this and you know his dad going well I I just I couldn't do it and Percy having to realize okay well you know my parents aren't exactly who I thought they were it killed me too because I know Arthur's Reasley isn't real, but I love Arthur and I think that he's the best dad ever. And to watch him do this, it just was, yeah. it's that whole thing, you know. I'm like, he's not doing it. It was just shattering. Very, I shattered. Very shattered. I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh, so hot, totally. I guess. Was anybody else Are confused we... as to why um, Harry, Jenny, and Ron bought Crookshanks for Hermione? Yeah, that was uh, yeah. I think they're just doing something nice because yeah. they love Crookshanks. But, <laughs> and they, they have to rely on her getting him just because yeah. he's part of Always and Always. Exactly. 
But I think part of why Hermione loved Crookshanks was because he was the Neasel that she could afford and that she was protecting him because nobody wanted him and that whole bit. I think it would show up differently if he's a gift. And you're like, why are you giving me the squash-faced cat? <laughs> Do they have any better ones at the store? I, mean, I don't think she would think that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ugly. I mean, really. This is Hermione you were talking about. I mean, like, come on. This is Hermione. I'm not saying that she would actually verbalize that because he's a gift and she would turn a gift away like that, but I'm just saying I don't know that she and Crookshanks would form the same bond when she didn't rescue Crookshanks. I didn't really think that in depth about Crookshanks. I'm sorry. Dude, but... it's a Neasel. It's not like it's just some cat. It's got <laughs> okay, if Crookshanks has extreme plot significance later in the story, you know, you can you know chastise me once I've read it that far, but I, I, I really say that, but. But Crookshanks had important plot. It was an important plot device in canon. Yeah. Yeah, because Crookshanks is who communicates with Sirius. Yeah, and the one that keeps Peter in check. Crookshanks is the only one that knows that Peter is evil. And opens like the Whomping Willow thing. Anyway, that's canon. Um, <laughs> we need to talk about the Boggart. Oh, yeah. I didn't because... think the whole Bogart scene was necessary. I thought yeah, that, I think it wasn't. that was. Well, see, the thing that got me was just what Remus thought the Bogart was. He thought it was Lily, didn't he? No, Harry's Bogart was seeing everybody oh. dead. Remus thought Harry's the Bogart was, was that Harry had killed them because he was becoming dark. Because he had I a terrible see. power. Uh, I just thought that. I don't know. I thought it was it was unnecessary and overdone. I didn't get much out of that scene. I don't remember that scene. I think I'm confusing it with another redo fix. Well, and then Lockhart gives an interview. Yeah, which makes Ron mad. Yeah, very mad. Wants to kill. Doesn't Lockhart. take a lot to make Ron mad. They tell Neville they're going to tell him. I Neville love how trusting Neville is, though. Yeah. Neville realizes that they are hiding something, and they tell him that they're going to tell him, but not now. I love that part of his character that he'll be like, "Okay, like I trust you that you'll tell me when you think you should tell me." I just think that's part of who Neville was. I feel that we should at this point explain to any new listeners to the Potterfic Weekly podcast what a bagel is. Uh, well, it, <laughs> well it, see, it's, it's a not, small round not really. piece of dough that's boiled and um, cooked. It's, <laughs> it's a, the common in New York, it's a Jewish food, as I recall. <laughs> Julia can explain it, I think. Yeah, oh. we'll get Julia on later. Oh, okay. So, this fic, when we brought it up, there was concern of bagel-type behavior, because in which no. fic was it? The bagel thing came from the Nightmares of Future's Past, and yes. specifically Harry going because back in time and lusting 30 after. 30-year-old Harry is lusting after 12-year-old Ginny. Yeah, but, but this see, time it's this kind of not as awkward. Both bagels, it, in a way. It's for Ron. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Is Ron, Ron the bagel? <laughs> yeah, I think Ron's a bagel. In case anyone has not surmised yet, bagel is a term used for when someone who is considerably older abuses a position of trust with a younger person. Would that be a good description? <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> yes, it would be. In order be to a... avoid repeating the word pedophilia <laughs> repeatedly, we use well, the word bagel. <laughs> So, it's a very nice replacement. Ron is the bagel. Harry and Ginny are not bageling. <laughs> because they're but kind of both. The thing is, bageling. the problem is, Molly and Arthur do not know that Harry and Ginny are 30 years old. Awkward. And that's it's, it's the basics for it, because I love and hate this chapter, because I hate what happens, but... I can't blame Molly and Arthur for their actions. If Jenny was my kid and I walked into her room and I saw what they saw, you can bet anything that Harry would have been out of there immediately. You know, I can't I blame them for their Jenny actions. Is so stupid. Yes, I am totally. I, 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 I 
I was so mad at Ginny in this. God, woman, are you that sex crazed? You are 12 years old. <laughs> like, she's only 12, right? Women develop so earlier than men, you know? It's just, she's, she's got when her I needs. Was, when I was 12, I was not thinking about sex. Yeah, but you weren't married. Yeah, but we just established that one of the good things about this fic is that they have the same desires as their body that they age. Yeah, but she has the memories of being older. Well, she has the memories, and we don't know where Ginny's hormones are coming in here. Most 12-year-old girls don't have memories of having sex before, generally. But 12-year-old girls are more interested in boys than 12-year-old boys are interested in girls, so I can believe that she's beginning to feel something yeah. biological towards yeah, Harry. I, I buy yeah. that, but she should that. know better. Exactly. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Like, it was a really foolish thing to do. And she just dismisses it. Oh, Mum's too busy fighting. And Harry's just like, you've got to put on your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, why? You know, she's been trying to think how to orchestrate it. She's been thinking about this. And, and I like Dumbledore's <laughs> point later when things fall apart and Dumbledore eventually tracks down Harry and he's like, couldn't you have waited until you got back to school to do this? And you're just... It's like, um, that doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> yeah, it's not normally the headmaster would have been saying, but you, hey, I guess he's real. All the sex you want when you get back to school. I <laughs> <laughs> it at home. I love how confused Sirius and Remus are. They're like, yeah. what? Dumbledore? Their entire page of Dumbledore are like shattered. Like, saying, oh, 14 and 15 year old, you know, go have at it. That was just like a very awkward scene all around. Like, just awkward and heart wrenching. Well, Harry's need to get hammered after getting thrown out of the burrow. And... He's weird because you see him as a 20-year-old and then you realize it's like a drunk-swearing 13-year-old walking around a graveyard and it's just weird Like if you think it's... of him as being 13. <laughs> that seemed a little extreme to me um, and I think serious more than just you know shrugging it off because oh he was drunk and I can understand that and the whole bit. I, he doesn't know that Harry's gone back in time. I would think he'd be like, um, Harry? Um... <laughs> That's not Is cool. he still going to damage his brain? I mean, he's 13. I mean, he, you know. Well, I think, I think it's serious. It's really like the point of reasoning with him. I mean, he's like, you're kind of drunk. Let's get you somewhere where you can, like, not trip over yourself. The bit that really got to me as well, speaking of heart-rending moments, is Sirius is there and Harry's like, Padfoot, he said in an angry yeah. voice, where yeah. have you been? And it's like, oh, poor Harry. You know, you just really feel for him. He's sort of like, just the... <laughs> Oh, so fast. And Sirius, Sirius is like, I didn't... Harry's like, I needed you. Why didn't you find me sooner? And Sirius is like, I didn't know if you'd want me to find you. And I'm just like, oh, how could he not know? Poor Harry, he could have been there for him. You know, it's like, such a misunderstanding. I like that Harry was drunk in the street, cursing Voldemort, <laughs> and Sirius yeah. didn't stop him because he was enjoying it too much. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets drug into Bethilda Bagshot's house and she opens the doors get away from me to get in I'm like that's perfect and then you like you like rationalizing this thing probably not inside her yet like not yet <laughs> yeah but he's drunk and doesn't know what he's doing so um, overall we're agreed that Ron has beggalish tendencies and that Harry and Jenny are cool but dumb uh, yeah but yeah. I don't, and also, though, to be fair and real, I don't think Ron is as bad as Harry was in Nightmares. I totally No, Ron's agree. very circumspect. Is that a good word to use? Yeah, he yeah I think so. Good. He's very much avoiding, like... He's avoiding yeah. the bagels. 
which I think is admirable of Ron. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, there's a lot of carbs in those bagels. You don't. You don't want to get too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get think... thrown out of the ranger's house. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think you're, they're somewhat lucky in that Ron is somewhat lucky in that he doesn't have to deal with the hormones yet. You know, while he is kind of dying inside at their lack of closeness, he gets to enjoy the building of their relationship without having to deal with the truly raging hormones. I mean, remembering back to when I was a teenager, you know, and not being quite there yet, he's very lucky because if he were 16 and having to watch Hermione all the time and have all these memories going through his head, it would really be killing. Is it time um, final thoughts? I'm kind of at chapter 20 right now and I'm probably going to be reading once I restart my computer and actually get it to work, I'm probably going to be reading more and I really like the fic and I think there's a lot of differences in me. I really did not like Nightmare of the Future's Past, and I really do like this one. I just think it's very well written. I think that having all three of them come back is very original, and I really like it. And I am getting a couple ideas of what's going to happen, but I still don't really know, obviously. So I'm really excited to see how it turns out. And I think I'm on for next week, hopefully, so I'll get to talk about it again then. Okay. I have final thoughts. I have final thoughts that I really had a ball reading this week. Oh, I can't even remember how I got onto it. I think it was Kismet. I really don't know. It's just got so many twists and turns, and I think it's one of those fics that is really good to read a second time because you go back and see stuff that you didn't see the first time. And I think that's one of the really good things about this fic is that it's a, a re-readable fic. Because you know how some of them, they just go in one and out the other and you just don't want to revisit? This is a revisiting yeah. one. Yeah, I definitely. I think it is improved by rereading because yeah. you can't get the full scope of the fic reading it once. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, this is one of my all-time favorite fics, but saying that the first eight chapters or so are really my least favorite part of the story. After that, it starts to pick up and we see more interesting things happen and there's more divergence with the story and it's not just a rehash of this happened and then that happened and we did this other stuff and you know, then we killed Quirrell. It takes off from this point on, and so for readers who haven't read it before and are finding it a bit slow up to this point, this is when it really starts to get interesting. And um, yeah. I wish I was on some of the later podcasts because there's some really, there's some just incredible moments that are written into this and some really deep emotions that Ella goes into, really complex problems of emotions and how you can get into situations in families where nobody's wrong but yeah. everybody's feelings are hurt. And how do you deal with that? How do you come back from that? So much of Harry feeling like after the scene that it, that's all ruined. You know, he came back for the Weas for the Weasleys. That was that was why essentially they came back was to save them. And then yeah. they hate him. You know, he deals with that really for the rest of this story. And it's it's an amazing story of really redemption um, going forward, and and Harry finding other reasons to to move on and move forward, and other challenges. And uh, I'd encourage anybody out there that hasn't read it to definitely pick it up because it's a great story. Yeah, I think, and definitely give it a chance because I was talking to Ryan this week and he'll probably talk a bit about his experiences with the beginning next week when he comes back. But he was saying that at first he wasn't really getting into it because the beginning is the weakest part, but he is getting into it now, he told me, because you just got to give it a chance. I mean... It's uneven a bit at first. I know I had a lot of issues with the prologue at first because it seems sparse. It seems rushed. I think she gets through a bit of pacing problems. I think 
the biggest thing about these first few chapters is pacing. It goes mm. between being too fast and too slow, but I think it does kind of hit its stride later on, and I think the best parts of the fix are to come in the following weeks. All right, yes. well... And we'll be back next week with chapter 16 to 24. Well, I'm going okay. back to reading, so I'm going to charge forward from 20. That's why I'm right now, so I'm really excited to see what happens, so... Excellent. Alright. I'll see you guys later. Alright. Good night. Okay. Good night, everybody. That's a wrap. So hold on to the ones that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.